Better drag, more flavor, less throat burn. That's the Red Apple way. Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagari. And you guessed it. We're talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which just passed its three-year anniversary. Pretty crazy because I remember this theater experience with you, my friend, just like yesterday. Went to the Alamo Draft House where we both had previously worked, uh, sat down, didn't move for two hours and 40 minutes straight, and just enjoyed Tarantino's ninth feature-length film. And I've loved it ever since. It's only grown on me, man. You know, this movie is just like in my eyes, perfect. And one of his best, most complete works. Uh, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's, I think it's like one of his top three or four movies, like overall movies, you know, uh, there's a lot of great things going on, you know, from the production design, which won an Oscar, you know, of course, Brad Pitt, best supporting actor, won the Oscar. He's amazing. Leo's amazing. Uh, you got an awesome screenplay from from Tarantino where he's kind of doing the what if thing that he's mastered at this point with, you know, of course, with Bastards. And then, you know, he kind of kind of has run with that, you know, with Django and these movies that he likes to kind of fuck with history. And I've, I really appreciate that. You know, it's this like hyper fictionalized, you know, nonfiction and fiction working at the same time. It's really cool. And I'm, I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with, you know, his his filmography still these days, you know, Um I wonder when that next movie's coming, you know? It's supposed to be his last one, but I won't believe it. I won't believe it until that actually happens. Uh, Tarantino himself says that he wants to move on to writing books. I'm all for that. I'm totally down for more stories in whatever format he <laughs> he sees fit. Um, overall, this movie was nominated 10 times at the 92nd Academy Awards, uh, which was only second behind a little movie called Joker um, at that ceremony. Uh, you had 1917, Once Upon a Time, and I think the other one is, yeah, it's The Irishman. Uh, all three of those all got 10 nominations and Joker got 11. Very easily for me, this is my favorite movie of that bunch. It's not really even close. I really, really wish it would have won Best Picture. I think it's like the Tarantino movie that could have won. Uh, just It just so happens that Bong Joon-ho came out with a masterpiece himself that year with Parasite. So uh, we'll definitely get into the... 92nd Academy Awards at the, you know, towards the end of the episode. Super excited for that because we both are very familiar with 2019. You and I saw a lot of those movies together. Uh, it's, of course, the year before everything changed for the movie industry. Uh, right before COVID, right before all the streamers started getting everything. And uh, I fondly remember, you know, that summer and fall of going to the theater every weekend and just kind of watching Masters at work. So this is going to be a special episode. Um, before we really dig into, you know, Once Upon a Time and uh, some of the stuff we're going to be doing, uh, I want to hear about your week because you were uh, in Virginia with Caleb, and I know you got to go see uh, go see Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> sure, I'm sure that was a blast. And uh, what what else do you, you guys watch? Some stuff I'm I'm sure together. Uh, you haven't you haven't seen him in a while, so I want to hear about you know your your trip over there. Yeah, it was fun. Um... I had managed to get tickets to see Rage Against the Machine, um, as well as uh, Run the Jewels, who were opening for them. And Rage Beautiful. hasn't toured in 20 years, and this was a big deal. They were one of the bands I thought I'd written off. You know, I'd, I never thought I'd ever be able to see Rage. And not only were they back, it's like they never left. I mean, in a sad way, I mean, they're still, you know, they're still raging against the same machine, still fighting the same fucking fights. Yeah. But, that energy has gotten crazier and it's gotten more, you know, in Washington, DC, I saw Zach De La Roca refer to the government as neo-fascist motherfuckers. Yeah. It's beautiful. 
God, but, that's uh, amazing. <laughs> yeah, I I was you know we managed to work it out where uh, you know Caleb in Virginia. I went up to see him. We drove to D.C. to see the show. It was a three hour drive, and we had a blast. And then we spent the rest of the time just watching flicks. I showed him some stuff. He showed me some stuff, and uh, <laughs> I've uh, I will admit I. I simply don't get it when it comes to certain films. Um, <laughs> it's it's I'm, I heard that quite a lot <laughs> when I would kind of voice my reaction to some of these films. Cause I just, I do not understand why people buy some of these films. All right. He introduced me to a film called spookies. Okay. Which is one of the most nonsensical bullshit movies I've ever seen in my life, but horror fans love it. Because it's just mindless fun, and I get that. But at the same time, I I don't get that. <laughs> it's hard to explain. Uh, that was followed by the um, cult favorite film, Sorority Babes in the Slime Ball Boldorama. Oh boy! <laughs> Look, if you love these films, all the power to you. I don't want to take that away from you. It's it's not my scene. It's it's not yeah. mine. I just I can't I can't latch on to bullshit. <laughs> so you know caleb loves these movies he wanted to show me some 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 goofy shit he succeeded i showed him the brood which he liked um i also showed him the burbs which he loved and uh so i married an axe murderer showed him that too beautiful and then we also made a big event out of watching prey on Hulu, the new Predator movie, which was fucking awesome. Very exciting film. I recommend checking that out immediately. And the cool thing is you can also watch it dubbed in Comanche on Hulu, which ah. is really cool. Uh, so definitely, like, this is easily the the second best Predator movie we've, we've ever gotten. And that's kind of the universal acclaim to it. It's like, it's not as good as Predator, but it does beat all the sequels. Okay. Kind of like what happened when Halloween 2018 came out, and people were like, "Oh, this isn't the '70s original, but it's it's pretty damn good compared to all the other remakes and and you know sequels." So. Well, and this was such a cool idea. You know, it's the it's the Predator's first hunt. It's the first time he was on Earth. You know, 300 years ago in 1719 in you know the Ohio River Valley, I think it is, and a Comanche warrior is kind of uses the predator as a way to kind of prove herself to her tribe is like, you know, I can hunt something this dangerous and mm. it's fucking awesome. It's a really cool story. It's got some incredible moments some insane gore. And I was very impressed. I really hope this does well so I can get more. Yeah, that's, that's good to hear. I'm definitely going to check that out here, here soon. Um, I've been, of course, you know, watching once upon a time in Hollywood. Um, I literally just got home from seeing bullet train which I thought was fine. I thought it was okay. I was a little underwhelmed. Uh, I wanted to check it out because we're going to be talking about Brad Pitt a lot here in a little bit. Uh, Connor and I have both prepared a top five Brad Pitt performances. Safe to say that Bullet Train did not make the cut. Um, but, you know, that's, you know, Brad Pitt's did, you know, done so many fucking movies. So it was going to be hard to break into that top five either way. You know, these are five movies I've seen multiple times. So, um, but but it, it it was okay, you know. I, I don't know why I set my expectations so high. It's uh the guy who directed uh, Deadpool two, Atomic Blonde, one of the Fast and Furious fucking movies. You know, like he doesn't have like the best resume, um, and he's definitely built for something like Deadpool, where it's just 
violence comedy violence comedy violence comedy and and this movie i just wanted more from the cast i wanted more from just the the writing i thought some of the writing was like a little too slapstick for me uh so just not not quite up my alley but it is entertaining you know it is a cool theater movie right because it's just loud as fuck and you're on a train watching people beat each other up so uh that was that was nice and and I saw it at the draft house, um, which I hadn't been to in a long time. The one that we work at that we used to work at. Uh, and I didn't recognize anybody that works there. I was like, this yeah. is weird. This is weird, man. You know, like it's just so odd. You know, that was uh, the four, that was four years ago that we worked there, but uh, just, just bizarre. Like I didn't recognize one person. Last weekend I went to see Pulp Fiction with my cousin Miles at our draft house. And I did recognize one person. And it was somebody I fucking despised. Okay, <laughs> wait. Like, yeah. Uh, I won't say the name, but does it start with an R? Yes, it does. Okay, I thought I saw <laughs> him too. Okay, all right. Sorry, yeah. buddy. Uh, yeah, I was like, I, I looked at Brianna. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's that's that fucker, you know? Uh, <laughs> and she was like, no way. Like, I was like, yeah, he, he was like in high school when we worked with him. And so he probably comes back for the summers from school or something. I don't know. And uh, yeah, I was just like, God, yeah, I'm in, uh, I'm in the same boat as you. Not my, I'm not the biggest fan. Uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, so that's confirmed. Okay, so you saw Pulp Fiction at the theater not too long ago. That's cool. Um, yeah. Of course, that's the first movie we ever did on this show, and we haven't touched Tarantino on any of our podcasts since then. Uh, which is, if you know us, is 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 uh, that's self control right there, my friends. Uh, <laughs> We have we have made a point to not tackle directors, you know, like do do their entire filmography right off the bat. We want to spread it out. You know, we we anticipate doing these podcasts for a very long time uh, with a guy like Tarantino. Nearly all of his films you could do on Oscar Sunday, so we want to kind of spread those out. And here we are, you know, it's been over a hundred episodes since we talked about him properly on the show, and um, that was that was of course Pulp Fiction episode one. So that's fun. As also, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was the first bonus episode we ever did to the Filmgasm podcast back when we were doing those. Oh, okay. So that's been taken down, right? Like that's not on the, the feed or uh, is it? They're not on the um, Spotify the feed, but if you want to, if you do want to listen to them, they are still all on YouTube because it's just a pain in the ass to take all that down. And frankly, I didn't want to do it. So Fair enough. it's all there. It's extra content. It's not our best work, but it's there. Yeah, yeah. Well, in 2019, you and I really kind of sunk our teeth in, and it was a it was just a good year overall. We we both liked a lot of movies that year, and it was a good Best Picture race. Um, and we were we were trying to see movies and then immediately talk about them. I remember doing The Lighthouse and Jojo Rabbit, uh, you know, and obviously Once Upon a Time. So I I remember that pretty vividly. Um, so I guess technically this is our third time <laughs> bringing Tarantino to to the you know to the forefront. See, I see it like like you're familiar with like you know Dragon Ball and all that. Like you watched Dragon Ball uh-huh. at least. See, there's the Dragon Ball canon. You know, there's Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball Super, and then there's all those movies they did that are fun, but they're not canon. But you know, they're fun. That's that's how I see our bonus episodes. Like they're not really they don't count, but we did them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, I, I totally get that. That's a good good analogy. Uh, totally works. Um, Aside from watching Once Upon a Time and, and Bullet Train, uh, I have been watching movies from 1945 because next week we're going to be doing a little 1945 action. We'll talk about that more later. 
Um, so I've watched, you know, three movies from that year. Uh, I've enjoyed a couple of them and one of them, not so much, but, uh, I did catch, there was one night, um, I had finished one of those 1945 movies that I didn't like. I was like, wasn't really for me. Wasn't my thing. And it was like 1258. I remember looking at the clock and I was like, I should go to bed. And I turned on, you know, I was just flipping through channels and rounders. One of my favorite movies of all time was about to start. And I was like, I, I have to watch it. I, I simply have to watch this movie. There's, there's no, that's rounders. Let me rephrase that. It's not one of my like favorite, favorite movies of all time, but it is one of my favorite movies to rewatch because I just have such a blast the entire time. I'm obsessed with the characters, Mike McDee and Worm. And of course, KGB, you know, John Malkovich is fucking going for it in that movie. But John Turturro, everybody's great. And it was on, it was on uh, Showtime. So like, there's no commercials or anything. I was like, I can get through this. You know, it's like an hour and 45 minutes. Let's fucking go. Uh, and so I just stayed up till three in the morning watching rounders and, you know, it just gets better and better every time I watch it. I understand it's not, you know, the highest art possible. It's a poker movie. It's a, it's a movie about a guy who can't get away from the game. You know, he loves, he loves the, the thrill of, you know, being up and then being down and, you know, owing people money and trying to get worm. Mike McDee's trying to get worm out of, you know, this crazy hole he's in. So that's been like the coolest thing I've watched this past week, even though I've seen it like a hundred times. I just fucking love rounders and I'll always go to bat for it. Uh, that's, that's really, that's really been it for me. Uh, you know, of course the most recent better call Saul episode last Monday was fantastic. Cause we, uh, spoiler alert, we finally got to see, uh, you know, Walter and Jesse. And that was really neat because the, the way they framed that was you see the RV, the bullet holes in the RV and you immediately were like, if you're a fan, you know, you're like, Oh my God, we're about to see Aaron Paul. And, and, and uh, why can't I Brian Cranston we're about to see like our, our boys you know the guys who made Breaking Bad what it was uh so that was really cool it was a really good episode and I'm super there's only two left man like I'm so excited to see where this goes and everything I've been reading about it I just get the, the theories and all this different stuff about where the last two episodes are going to go I cannot wait I've never been this excited for a tv show I loved getting some context to you know, Saul, when we first met him in Breaking Bad, kneeling in front of his own grave and being like, you know, it was Ignacio. Like now we now we know what that meant. And that was so cool. Like I never thought about how that one exchange, you know, did Lalo send you could turn into this in this giant, you know, subplot of an entirely different show that feels incredibly rewarding. It's I I will I'm I'm I know I say this all the time, but I am in constant awe of Vince Gilligan's ability as a storyteller. I just, it's, it's unparalleled. He, re, he really is a genius. Yeah. I, yeah. I, you, you can, you could say that every week and I wouldn't get, you know, I wouldn't get annoyed with you. You know, it's, it's the truth. Uh, he's one of the best TV writers we've ever had. And for him to, like you said, kind of wrap this stuff around in different ways, is truly incredible. This is a thing that's been going on for 14 years and it's still, like adds up and makes sense. And even if I know, especially the stuff with Gus, like we know what happens to Gus in season four, you know, like we know what happens in breaking bad. It, I just don't give a shit. I'm like, I'm enjoying the the ride. I'm enjoying point A to point B of every storyline, you know, with, with Mike, I love watching Mike, even though I know what happens to him. 
and so it's it's been great. I can't wait tomorrow. You know, there's there's a new episode tomorrow night, and I, I'm, I'm chomping at the bit. I cannot wait. You know, uh, of course we're recording this on Saturday night, but if you're listening, yeah. it's Sunday, and uh, uh, Better Call Saul is on Monday. So yeah, I'm, I'm super super amped for that. Um, that's really all I've been up to. So um, it's been it's been a decent week for me. My family are all following Better Call Saul too. Like my entire family's been converted, and um, that's, that's great. We're pl- we're planning like a, a party for the finale where we're going to get like Cinnabons and fried chicken and shit like connected to the show oh. and have a bla- have a bit of a, a feast to say goodbye to ABQ possibly for good. Okay. Well, if I have that Monday off, I'll let you know. And I, I would love to come up for that and, and, you know, be with some fellow nerds. Uh, cause when I watch it, cause Bri- my, my wife, Brianna, she's behind. She hasn't, she hasn't caught up on better call Saul. Cause she didn't watch Breaking Bad when it was on. When she met me, I was like, "If you want to be with me, you gotta watch Breaking Bad." Because I'm never gonna stop quoting it. Uh, and so she watched it. And she was like, "This is great. You know, this is like this is excellent television." And she whipped through it really fast. You know, just like in two or three weeks. And I, I was like, "Honestly, Better Call Saul is just as good. You know, it's just as high quality." And Bob Odenkirk is just as good as anybody in Breaking Bad as, as a lead. I love Brian Cranston, but. You got to give it to Bob. Bob Bob's range and with this character is fucking bonkers. And and the timelines, you know, Brian Cranston, we see a lot of in between two years. With Bob, it's like it ranges like a decade, <laughs> you know. And that's really impressive what he's been able to do with that character. I would love to see him get the Emmy, even though I don't care about the Emmys very much. It'd be okay. cool to kind of re- it would be cool to reward him for being in over a hundred episodes of these two TV shows as this one character. I, I I would really love to see him get rewarded for that and for battling through sickness and coming back, you know, even stronger and uh, just, just playing a great character that we're never going to forget. Oh, yeah. This is, I remember when season one came out and everyone was like, this is good, but like, he's not Saul. Like who's, who's this Jimmy guy. And now we're like, Jimmy, where did you go? We like, yeah. what happened to you, Jimmy? Yeah. <laughs> And, and now, and now Gene, you know, you're like, Gene, Gene's yeah. just as much of a dog as the rest. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's the scams are so brilliant. Just, I love that they never tell you what's happening. You just get like little pieces. And then as they're going along, you're like, oh, you, you put it together yourself. Like, oh, that's why he's giving him Cinnabons. Oh, that's why he's, you know, doing a, like a relay race in the middle of a field. It, like it's, that's, it's such, I'm so, I fucking love this show. Me too, man. It's the, it's, I mean, and if you're, if you're someone who's listened to us, you know, for some time, we don't ever do this. We'd like never bring up TV, but there's something about this, this Albuquerque story that Vince Gilligan's created that we, we both really dig and really respond to. So yeah. Can't wait, man. Um, two more. It's crazy. I'm going to be sad when it's gone. I'm be really sad. Cause it's like the only TV show that I get amped up for every other show that I, you know, quote unquote, watch. If I get behind on a couple of days, I'm like, eh, whatever. It's fine. I'll catch up. But no. Better Call Saul, I'm like, I am watching that on Monday night, even if it's two in the morning. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to fucking watch it before I go to bed. So that's 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 always a good sign. Um, let's shift gears here to to Brad Pitt and to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, he's going to be 59 years old in December. Brad Pitt. Fuck. Isn't that crazy? Like the guy was born in Oklahoma, nineteen sixty-three, in December. 
So he's gonna be 59 years old here here coming up at the end of the year. And you know, he he's obviously aged like fine wine. He's one of the one of the most popular, one of the most um, you know, profitable leading actors we've ever had. But you know, you said it best a long time ago. You said it best when you 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 were like Brad Pitt is a character actor stuck in a movie star's body. You know, uh, I, I've always lo- I've always loved that. And every time I watch him, I'm like, yeah. And I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood kind of encapsulates that better than any role he's ever had. And, and, and Tarantino knows it. You know, he's playing to those kind of like that stereotype, like when he's on the roof and he takes his shirt off and lights a cigarette and is just like, huh. You know, like, he, like he, Brad Pitt's like, I still fucking got it. I am. I am that heartthrob from Thelma and Louise. Like that, I'm, I'm still that even, you know, 25, 20, you know, 30 years later. I can still have that effect on audiences. And uh, he, he really has put together a, a three decade run. That is one of the best we've ever seen. You know, he's on, he's on the same level as, you know, guys like Leo and guys like, you know, you know, Paul Newman, Robert Redford and Humphrey Bogart and these like legends of the game. And he's, he's one of those guys. Like he has so many amazing performances uh, to kind of back it up. And he, what's great now is he has an Oscar win for, for performance, you know? Um, and I'm, I know it like, doesn't really matter. You know, it doesn't take away from somebody if they don't have a win. Right. You know, like, like I think one of the best actors we've had, one of the best character actors we had is John Goodman. He has nothing to show for with the Oscars, but it is nice when like they get that gold to just kind of solidify their legacy when it comes to the Oscars. And, and I appreciate that. Um, he was nominated for uh, Best Actor in a Supporting Role for 12 Monkeys, 1995. That was, that was his first, first nomination. Uh, and then it was a big break. You know, there's, there's 13 years in between that and his nomination for The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Best Actor in a Lead Role, 2008. And then he was nominated again in 2011 for Moneyball, Best Actor in a Lead Role. Uh, he was also a... Uh, executive producer on that film so he was also uh, given a nomination for best picture uh, and then he was again an executive producer for 12 years of slave 2013 and that won best picture so he was able to take a statue for that uh, and then he was nominated again for the big short 2015 also as an executive producer uh, and then finally uh, 2019's once upon a time in hollywood he won Best actor in a supporting role, and he basically won it in July when the movie came out. The movie came out. The movie came out July twenty sixth, um, in twenty nineteen, and basically a week later, people were like, "Yeah, yeah, he he's get he's going, he's going to walk the stage to to where to where now most people would have like no idea who the other people were that were nominated. You know, sometimes you have a race, uh, you know, like Joaquin Phoenix, he beat Leo, he beat Adam Driver, like those guys had a chance nobody had a chance against cliff booth you know it was just that kind of a that kind of performance that just grabbed people and and it reminded you of the power of brad pitt so cool yeah it was it was neat i don't remember that kind of momentum for an actor at the oscars like ever i mean just from the get-go people were like yeah they can nominate four other guys but there's no there's no chance like this is brad's award to lose and then i think he just sweeped like he swept every award show didn't he yep yep and he his speeches kept getting better and better and like more more just representative of just the man he is and how like laid back and cool and calm and collected he is and solidifying again solidifying him as a 
a, the definition of a you know an a-lister a guy who can carry your movie or you know he, he can carry uh, rick dalton's load <laughs> you know like he's he's capable of doing both and i, I love that about him yeah i've always been a, a fan of brad pitt i like him as an actor and the more i learn about who he is i think he's a decent guy which is rare for a movie star of that caliber uh but yeah I've nothing but respect and i'm glad we're here to kind of give him his own episode yeah, yeah. So, you know, we kind of chose this. We've, we've wanted to do this movie since we started the show, since we started the podcast. Uh, we both really like this movie. Um, and it just felt like it was a good time because, you know, he's got this new movie out, Bullet Train, where he's very much the lead the lead role in this movie. And, um, you know, he's carrying it as best as he can. And so it was... It was like, let's do, you know, the guy's almost 60 years old. Let's do a fucking top five Brad Pitt performances. Let's kind of highlight our favorite parts of his career. I do expect some overlap with you and I. I, th- I think we both have probably, honestly, could be up to four overlaps. Uh, the When I was looking at it, I was like, we'll see, maybe three. Um, there's, there, there's a couple, though, that we both just really respond to, and I'll, I'll expect those kind of in the one and two spots, but uh, it's going to be funny to talk about him and what we both dig about each performance. Uh, and there's so many roles he has where it's like, how was he not nominated here? You know, for, for seven or, you know, there, there's right from the get go 95, he's up for 12 monkeys, but not seven. It's like, well, what the hell is that about? You know? And there's a couple movies on my list. I can, I are really three on here that I'm like, how the fuck was he not nominated? You know, like he, he put in a movie stars performance, in these movies and kind of stole the show. So I'm excited to just kind of dig into that. Well, a couple of years back, you did an article of top five Brad Pitt performances. And I'm wondering how much of that has changed since. Uh, only one movie has been replaced, but the order has changed a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I, All right. I, I looked back on that and I was like, yeah, hey, let me, I, there's one movie I watched, not maybe, six seven months ago that i was like oh man i i forgot how much i like this movie and so that took a spot of a of a movie but the other the other four just kind of like rotated on on where they're ranked so um i believe i did that shortly after once upon a time in hollywood came out i'm prob probably yeah i think you did <laughs> yeah i mean yeah how can you not you know you, you get you get really inspired by by movies as good as once upon a time so uh without further ado let's let's dig into into Brad Pitt, let's dig into his career and what we love. So start off with your number five whenever you're ready. Yeah, uh, to do this list, I wanted to kind of watch some some Brad Pitt I hadn't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I intended to watch The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I was not able to get to that. Uh, but I watched A River Runs Through It and Seven Years in Tibet. Uh, neither made my list, but I just wanted to say that. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I watched, um, I think last week I talked about it when we did uh, our Zemeckis episode. Uh, I watched Allied. It's not going to make the cut, but, I, I, you know, I had fun. Yeah. He was good. So yeah. he, he, doesn't really, he doesn't ever disappoint me, you know. Yeah. I want to immerse myself. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, I am anticipating some significant overlap here. Um, my number five is Mickey O'Neill from Snatch. That's my number five as well. Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, this is a snatch is such a great movie. It's yes, I love Guy Ritchie's the king of the crime comedy. And I I love this character, this this pikey who's got just an I mean, he's to be fair, Brad Pitt is doing an atrocious Irish accent, but really he's just garbling it up and 
he's so he's so goddamn charming you don't care the character is this awesome one punch you know boxer who cheats them out of a caravan it is delightful and he's just part of a crazy ensemble of this weird you know boxing movie slash diamond heist gone wrong it's 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 wild if you haven't seen snatch watch snatch yeah it's on netflix right now um this is this is the one that replaced the tree of life for me um good 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 decision (laughs) i so with brad pitt there's a few movies a few performances that i'm like they're like like true romance i adore what he's doing in that movie and it's like right up my alley but is it in my top five no like let's be honest let's 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 be honest, because he's not in it that much, you know. It it's was just, in your top five. I know, I, I know. <laughs> and the and the Tree of Life is obviously a movie like made for me. It's about a lot about religion, and he kind of represents. I think we talked about this. He represents like the Old Testament, uh, while Jessica Chastain re- represents the New Testament, and uh, I think he does a great job of playing like a domineering father. But yeah, what he's doing in Snatch is just so fucking fun. It's kind of at the peak of his like physical. Uh, capabilities and just the way he looks at that time he would have been you know late 30s so yeah he's just looks incredible the dude's like chiseled and he's yeah again the boxing scenes are so fucking cool what's also like what the hell is he doing here you know it's an all british cast it's you know a guy Ritchie production and then out of nowhere you've got brad pitt as a as an irish gypsy like what the fuck it's 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 definitely a um let's get that guy from Fight Club. <laughs> let's get that guy. <laughs> uh which I to, I totally understand, you know, when you're trying to make a movie and you're trying to get get talent. Um uh, I totally understand that, especially for the movies can, you know, could be like a, a double feature that would be really interesting. So yeah, I, I, I love that movie. Dennis Farina is so awesome and and snatch, rest in peace. Um I love just kind of the the pace of it. And and Brad Pitt just adds, adds especially now knowing what he's done afterwards, he adds this kind of gravitas to it that that's needed. I'm always impressed by Alan Ford as a bricktop. I'm yeah. surprised he didn't play more gangsters because he was so fucking intense as that psycho. Uh, yeah, it's got a great ensemble, and it's just like you know, it's 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 Richie improving on. You know, the formula he established with lock stock and two smoking barrels. And he never really, the gentleman is in that same vein, but Snatch is kind of like, you know, the perfect engine for that kind of story. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's, it's Guy Ritchie kind of like young enough to just have just go balls to the wall. And you, you love when that happens with the director, uh, a creator who's just kind of taking his shots, taking his chances. And, uh, feel it's really gritty, kind of rough around the edges, and yeah, Snatch is a it's a great watch. I've always I've always really liked Stephen Graham uh, in that movie. Uh, Stephen Graham is like so underrated, I think, and I love, of course, Jason Statham. This is probably my favorite role he's ever done is in that movie, and uh, yeah, I, I can't get enough of this one. So I'm glad we both have it at number five. That's cool. Yes, very cool. Uh, number four. Think I'm going to be stepping on your toes here a bit. Uh, Tyler Durden from Fight Club. Okay, that, I have that. Um, not yet, but yeah. <laughs> I yeah, this is you know every top 
every Brad Pitt for like best of list is going to have Fight Club. This is uh, yeah, yeah. This pretty much to me, this is the movie that made him. <laughs> uh, Tyler Durden is, he's you know, a man's darkest urges come to life, a man's anarchy, his rage at society manifested into this sketchy soap salesman who yeah. just you know takes him for a ride and he, you believe him as this you know charismatic cult leader who's turning you know joe schmoes into an army and you never question it once and i love that you kind of the first time you're watching this it takes you a while to realize tyler's the bad guy <laughs> It's it's really an insane film, and he is absolutely astonishing in it. This this should have been his like a, a full blown nomination, maybe a win. Yeah, that that one's that one's tough, right? Nineteen ninety nine. You would you would imagine it'd be hard to to put him in to figure out which one to put him in, supporting or or lead. Uh, he's in he's obviously in the movie a lot. Him and Aaron Norton. But I would I would yeah, I really wish they were both up. Um, you know, we've done Fight Club on this show. And um, it's only got one nomination. So it's one of those movies that just, you know, if the Oscars happened five years after each year, then I think Fight Club would have been up for like six or seven. Uh, But that's just how it is. Yeah. I do think, like you said, this is huge for Brad Pitt as a performer. Uh, He, you know, he has seven in his bag, but you know, he's in the nineties. He's, he's mainly just like a heartthrob guy. Who's like really good looking. Um, gets the ladies, you know, gets the ladies going and he kind of, he kind of fades in and out of, of movies, but he, he, he showed this really, really wild tenacity with, with the, the Fincher stuff. Uh, and from there, you know, he, of course he goes to snatch and then his two thousands, 2010s are, are just crazy. And he's kind of played it right for me. You know, he's just played things right ever since fight club. Um, He's, you know, he's not in, there's some movies that aren't great, but he's always, he's always bringing something. And I feel like he's kind of hit everything he needs to hit as, as an actor to kind of connect to all audience members. Um, the only thing he hasn't really done that I just, I, I don't see happening at this point is, is I, I wish he was in, I wish he had like that Ethan Hawke uh, DNA to him where he was like, I'm just going to do some fucking flat out textbook horror movies. He's never really done that. You know, he's, he's in some genre stuff, right? You know, of course, you know, 12 Monkeys fucking Fight Club is wacky as shit. But I wish he was in like, a, you know, Sinister. You know what I mean? The closest we got was World War Z. And that yeah. just didn't work for people. So I get why he yeah. pursue that further. But yeah, I agree. I, I, I think, you know, it's going back to Fight Club. I'd love to see him take on more villainous roles. Yeah, me too. He was really fucking great as a bad guy in this. Yeah, yeah. And... And that that movie, just the whole, the whole plot plot line of him being the same person, you know, as our as our narrator, him and Edward Norton is such a cool combo of dudes. And and you know, Norton's coming off of coming off of Rounders and American History X and Primal Fear, and they're both clearly coming into their own. They're like, hey, we're going to be around for a couple decades doing this doing this acting thing. So uh, it's really cool. And of course, you know, we we just a little while ago we we're talking about brad pitt's a guy who wants to make movies too he wants to produce and fun things and help people make their dreams come true and he just played it right man so i, th- I do think fight club is just like a huge deal for him to see how 
see how a guy like Fincher works and what this really can be and uh, what a, what a cool character. So that's your number four. That's my number three. We don't need, we don't really need to talk about fight club anymore. Right. It's, it's, um, it's a movie that that's just so in the, you know, stream of consciousness for, for moviegoers and, and movie fans uh, that it gets talked about so much. Rightfully so. My number four is Cliff Booth. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Um, fucking hell, man. When I was watching this movie, I, this is my favorite watch of like viewing of it. I've seen it probably five or six times now and doing it for this show because we haven't done Tarantino in so long. I was just like, of course I've watched a bunch of Tarantino in between that, but now with the intentions of giving it awards and going on a podcast and talking about it, I, I was just, you know, I was elated just watching this movie unfold, how like organic it is. And, and then I, d- I don't think I ever realized until this time how many different ways you can interpret stuff. The, the, obviously, the ending is so fascinating. And the more I think about Cliff Booth, the more I'm just kind of like, wow, maybe this is the one he should win for. You know, like maybe, maybe they were right. You know, maybe the Oscars were like, had, had their finger on something. He's really, really fucking good in this movie and is in it a lot for a supporting role. He's in this movie a ton and he carries moments of the movie. Like when he goes to spawn ranch, um, of course, towards the end of the movie, he obviously steals the show in the finale. And uh, I, I love that. Love that about him, but he's, he doesn't care. Brad Pitt's like, I don't give a fuck. Like I I'm working next to Leo. If he wants to be the guy, which is so cool. Cause that's like, that's Cliff Booth and Rick Dalton's relationship is Cliff is the stunt man. Who's like, I don't give a shit. I just want to like work and hang out and go back to my trailer outside the, you know, outside the drive-in theater, you know, and, and hang out with my dog and watch shitty TV on my, on my shitty TV. And, and Leo gets to have the big house next to Plansky and Sharon Tate and, you know, have, have all that, have the glitz and glamour. I feel like that's kind of how they are in real life. <laughs> I feel like Leo's like, Leo's like, give me the supermodel, you know, to date, give me, give me, give me all the lead performances. Give me, you know, I want to work with Scorsese and Tarantino and no one else. <laughs> And, and, and uh, that's what I'm going to do. I actually looked up. Leonardo DiCaprio has worked with um, seven, 17 of his performances, of his roles throughout his career, are with a Oscar-nominated director. So obviously Scorsese, there's a few of them. But it's like he, he's like, I'm only going to work with the, like the, the people who are seen as the best. And Pitt is more like, I'll fucking do whatever, you know? And it's kind of like Dalton and, and Booth, you know, just... It's really cool how these two massive movie stars play these kind of washed up losers in Once Upon a Time, but it works. It like mirrors their real life. It's really fascinating. Tarantino clearly knew what he was doing with those two guys. Yeah, he absolutely did. Cliff Booth is my number three. Beautiful. Uh, This is great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is... He's such a cool guy, you know? You're not really sure if he murdered his wife, but you, you, he, he probably did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in the end, you know, he's he just wants to make, he wants to protect his best friend. You know, at the end of the day, Cliff and Rick are friends. And yeah. I love that that's never lost. It's never it never becomes a, a full blown, you know, employee employer relationship like they're buddies who happen to work, you know, in the same industry. And, yeah, I love Cliff's weird story with the with the Manson family that yeah. comes full circle. It's great. And yeah, Pitt just has this kind of nonchalant, like, I know I'm a badass vibe to him that 
just makes Cliff work. Because I love their, you know, Rick's the insecure one. Cliff is always confident. He's never, Cliff is never second-guessing himself at any moment. He knows yeah. it's awesome. Even when he's surrounded by murderous hippies, he's knocking people off their fucking feet and being like, I'm in control of this situation. <laughs> it's yeah, amazing. Uh, and yeah, it, it's. I'm glad Pitt won an Oscar for it. It was well-deserved, and it's such a great character. Yeah, truly. Uh, I can't wait to talk about the finale more and just kind of what we both think it represents and what it means. <clears throat> what it means. <clears throat> That's such a such a cool finale. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to talk more about the movie as we keep going. So that's your number three. My number three is Fight Club. So, all right. Our, obviously, our number one and two are the same movies, but I bet they're flipped. I think you might be right. So um, you, is your, what's your number two? It's Moneyball. Okay, yeah. And my number one is Moneyball. My number two is, is Bastards. Yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> come on. Yep. And my number one is Bastards. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk, about, let's talk about Moneyball first and then Bastards. Uh, we, we have, have the, the same, same five movies <laughs> for Brad Pitt, who has like a hundred acting credits. Yeah, this is why we do a podcast together. You know, <laughs> uh, love it. Uh, yeah, Moneyball is a blast. It's a movie about baseball statistics, and it's amazing. And Billy Bean is just this, you know, this coach or this owner ra- manager. That's what he was. Uh, uh he's he's a, he's a GM, so he's like a. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman plays the manager who like actually works with the players on the field. The general manager is the guy who makes trades and kind of is in control of how who, he's in control of who comes to the team, who, who leaves. Um, and he is he answered. He answers to the owner, right? Correct. Yeah. So he's like one step below the owners. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. See, I movies are my thing. <laughs> I, yeah. Base, baseball. <laughs> It, it, it is, you know, it can be it can be quite boring if you're watching on TV, but throw Brad Pitt and Philip Seymour Hoffman in there and you're having a blast. Yeah, you give, you know, you have Aaron Sorkin write a screenplay about, you know, yeah. the, the Oakland A's like crack the code and you put yeah. a masterpiece on your hands. Yeah, and, and I'll give credit to Jonah Hill. He's amazing in this movie too. Yeah. But Pitt is just, you know, this beacon of optimism and hope who's like, we're going to pull this off. And everybody is telling him this is stupid don't do this. You're going to tank your team. You're going to lose your job. You're going to be a laughing stock. And not only does he succeed, he ends up, you know, um, multi-million dollar offers, you know, put his way. The entire MLB adopts this formula. Like he changed everything. And that's, it's the craziest thing is that like, I shouldn't give a shit, <laughs> but I care the entire time. Based on not only, you know, Sorkin's screenplay, but the strength of Pitt's performance as, you know, our hero. Um, like, I love that scene when he goes into the locker room when they're all joking about after losing uh, the game. And he's like, you know, what are you celebrating? Like, you lost. Like, it's, a, it's great, you know, those moments where, like, the mask fades and you realize, you know, he's not happy. He's, you know, he's got a lot of shit happening, you know, divorce. He's a single dad. He's like trying to make that work. And also, you know, the entire world is against him and that shit gets to you and you see it from time to time in this movie, but he does such a great job of holding all that shit together that you just want to back him up. It's, it's a great performance and amazing movie that I never thought I'd like. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, 
you 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 hit on a lot of things why it's my my number one. I think he needs this role for like the his his legacy and his stature as a as a performer more than any of the other ones that we that we that we've talked about. Not many people can do this and make the movie interesting. Um, you know, th- there's some people who can make Fight Club, Fight Club. You know, I, th- I do think that it's somewhat interchangeable. It's probably not the same movie, but people want to act. You know, actors want to act and they're doing crazy stuff and you know, snatch. Like, I mean, you could throw a lot of guys in there. And of course, once upon a time, actors are probably lining up to fucking work with Tarantino. Moneyball is like such a challenging, such a challenging role to succeed in because of how how patient it is and because it's about statistics it's about baseball statistics there's probably my favorite scene is when he first brings Jonah Hill in uh to to kind of talk about what they're going to be doing moving forward and he's explaining look you guys are trying to replace these these all-star players who we couldn't pay so they moved to the Yankees or the Red Sox these huge markets that can pay them tons of money you guys are trying to replace those names He's like, I want to replace what they did on the field. And I love when he points at Jonah Hill and he's like, why? And Jonah Hill's like, because he gets on base. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but that guy can't swing. You know, that guy sucks. And they're like, doesn't matter. We don't care what it looks like. We want to build a team that can win baseball games over a ba- baseball seasons. They play 162 games. So you have to create a formula like Billy Bean did to kind of over time, is this going to add up to where we get enough wins to make to the playoffs and move forward? And he does it with the smallest payroll in the entire league. And the A's have, once he left the A's in real life, he, ended, he you know, at the end of the movie, it's a really cool ending because the Red Sox are like, Hey, we want to hire you. We can pay you. And he's like, no, I'm going to do my thing here. And in real life later on, he ended up taking a bigger job and was like, I need, I, I, I need to get paid more. I'm, I'm like doing way I'm working overtime for, for these motherfuckers. So he ends up, you know, taking a bigger job, but there was a time where he stuck with it. It was like, this is, this is what I'm, my legacy is going to be. This is what I'm going to be known for. And Pitt's like the, to me, the only guy in America that could have done that job and done it successfully. And he can do the, uh, the Sorkin thing seamlessly, the walk and talk. There's moments where he's walking down the hallway talking shit to Philip Simmer Hoffman. And I'm like, man, Pitt does this just as well as anybody in any Sorkin movie, the walk and talk and the, the kind of business side of things that we shouldn't care about, but because it's Sorkin writing and these actors, you know, executing it, it just, it just works. Moneyball is probably my favorite movie from 2011. And really, really wish it would have won Best Picture. I just think it's like way better than The Artist. And a movie that people still care about. And The Artist nobody really ever talks about. I've always thought Moneyball is this kind of underlying, like just American masterpiece that doesn't doesn't get quite the right recognition. And uh, it's so huge for Brad Pitt's legacy. And I, yeah, I fucking love that movie. It's another one like Rounders, if it's on. I'm going to watch the rest of the movie no matter where it's at. If, it's, if there's two hours left, if there's 45 minutes left, there's 15 minutes left, I'm going to watch whatever's left. Uh, I just adore that movie. It's become pretty much like that for me, too. I've, I've watched it about four or five times now, and it's just it's an amazing watch. It's a fun movie. It's, it's funny. It's dramatic. It's, it's, it checks all the boxes. I love that moment where you know they're testing it out, and Pitt says to Jonah Hill, like, this is better work. Yeah. And he's like, no, nah, just kidding. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Are there any stakes really? Like if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But at the same time, it's like, you know, he he needs a win. Uh, Yeah. I I was pretty sure this was going to be your number one. Yeah. It's going to be tough to beat this. um, As I, as I continue watching his movies forever, it's going to be hard to top that. I just connect with it. And I've, I've, started to really, really get into baseball these past two years. I loved it as a kid. And then I kind of gave it up in my high school years. I was like, oh, I just don't, you know, I watched too many other things, but uh, it's really the only sport that's on the whole summer. And so I always, you know, go kind of go back to it during the summer. And I love that. That's when one of the, one of the guys tells Brad Pitt about an older guy that, that Billy Bean wants to sign. He's like, when the dog days come in, you know, July and August, he's not going to be able to fucking swing. You know? <laughs> And Brad Pitt's like, he gets on base. <laughs> you know, he gets on base. Uh, I, I love that. So it's a cool movie. Just really unique and got a great score too, a really underrated score. And, and Bennett Miller, who knew? You know, who knew he could kind of, you know, have this kind of weird, kind of solid directing, you know, filmography. So um, yeah, love, love Moneyball. But, but Bastards, I mean, fucking hell. Aldo is... You know, like what, what what can you really say about it? It's Bastards is Tarantino's best movie and Aldo Rain. Um, Aldo Rain, this is it's tough. Brad Pitt and Christoph Waltz, those those might be the two best performances inside of any Tarantino movie, and they're in the same movie, you know. Um just incredible stuff. And how the fuck was he not nominated for that movie? It's crazy. It's a clear cut case of good versus evil which you do not get in tarantino's films everyone's pretty morally gray in a lot of his films but in this case it was very much like this is the nazi versus the american hero and it's fucking beautiful you know lieutenant aldo rain is the greatest hero quentin tarantino has ever created he's he's like the only one yeah (laughs) pretty much (laughs) Uh, he's just you know he's charismatic he's got a dark past you know just the 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 addition of the rope burn around his neck knowing that he he was lynched and that's why he fucking hates racist assholes like that's all you need and just the determination to hunt down these nazis and you know getting one over on on landa at the end it's one of the most satisfying moments in movie history and i i love it so much pitt brings something to that movie he never did before or since I don't know what yeah. it is, but it's magic. And it is fucking criminal he wasn't up because he, he, he could have won that year. Yeah, that's... Cliff should be his second Oscar. Yeah, so, so 2009, who won that year? That, is that Jeff Bridges? Or... Yeah, Crazy Heart. That was that, yeah. Like, I love Jeff Bridges, but come on. Like, what Pitt's doing in Bastards is, is far better than Crazy Heart. I, and I like Crazy Heart. I think it's a pretty good movie. And Jeff Bridges, that felt like more of like, oh man, we fucked up. We didn't give him stuff in the past. You know, we should we should highlight him while we can. It's like, no, give it to the right person. Give it to the better performance. At least nominate them, you know? Um, it's one of the most memorable performances of the entire century so far. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah th- th- to me, one and two, it's very clear that it's, it's Billy Bean and it's Aldo Rain. Yeah, Aldo is just so easy to root for like it's so you know you you want to you enjoy watching him scalp nazis yeah it's, it's great you know any other like i love that you know bastards is so 
like non-divisive because everyone just agrees like, yeah, Nazis are bad. Remember when that used to be a non-controversial statement? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. It's, it's just, yeah, it's a, it's an amazing yeah. film. And it is where Tarantino started doing that kind of, you know, screwing with history, which normally as a history buff, I would really hate, but he does it in such a satisfying way where you get to see, you know, Adolf Hitler get gunned down by Jewish soldiers or the Manson family get fucked up by a stunt man. Like, how do you not just enjoy that? Yeah. And, and, and he doesn't, he doesn't cut corners. So all of his, his, the production value on his movies is like through the roof and is just as much a part of like the branding of Tarantino. Uh, the people that he gets to edit his movies and, and design his movies and costume design, those people are just as important to the kind of the brand that we know as Quentin Tarantino. I mean, if you if you like follow the projection of his career from Reservoir Dogs to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you can see you can just see him getting better. It's so cool to really see like what he's learning, what he's taking away, what he's putting into his movies. And then by the time, you know, Hollywood rolls around, like he is an expert, like he is one of the greatest working filmmakers. What he's putting into these movies is something nobody else does. I don't know what it is. It's that X factor. It's that love of cinema. It's, you know. It's a celebration of everything he loves about movies. And he's added that to everything. And I, yeah. I've, that's, I think that's why I respond so much to Tarantino because I fucking love movies too. Yeah. Same here, man. It's, it's very clear that he's a movie lover making movies for movie lovers like over and over and over. You know, you know what I've been thinking about? I was thinking about when I was watching Once Upon a Time. I, I was like, I, I constantly think about what's going on in this director's head while he's making this movie. Is he thinking about just this vision? Is he thinking about what other people are doing in the movie industry? Is he or him or her in this case, Tarantino, I feel like he's so conscious of what's going on around him and how important he is to original storytelling, actually making money at the box office. That's so hard to do these days. And he's one of the guys that is going to bring money like hand over fist, no matter what, like no matter what happens. And like, we, we you gotta, you gotta embrace that while we have it. Cause those guys, they're, they're few and far between. I also see bastards as a, this might, this is probably just in my head. It's probably not true, but I've, I've seen Quentin Tarantino and Paul Thomas Anderson's careers kind of doing this weird mirror thing where, you know, Tarantino started out, you know, a few years before him, he's, you know, Tarantino's first movie, Reservoir Dogs, 92. And you have Hard Eight, 1996 for Paul Thomas Anderson. Both, both quality films. And you're like, oh, this, this guy's got, this guy's got some stuff to, to say. He's got some stuff in his bag. And then Quentin Tarantino does Pulp Fiction. You're like, holy shit. This is crazy for a guy's second movie. Paul Thomas Anderson does Boogie Nights. And you're like, holy shit, this guy, this guy has some stuff in his bag. And he's he's gonna have a cool career. And then what is what does Tarantino do? Jackie Brown and people are like, huh? Paul Thomas Anderson does Magnolia, and people are like, what? <laughs> and then and then they're like, all right, fuck it, we're gonna do what we want. So Tarantino's like, I'm making Kill Bill. I don't give a shit. Like everybody can fuck off. I'm gonna do what I want to do. This is what I've always wanted to do since I was a kid. And Paul Thomas Anderson's like, I've always wanted to work with Adam Sandler, so I'm gonna make a love story with Adam Sandler. And <laughs> I don't give a shit what anybody thinks. And then we see, you know, Tarantino has an interesting uh, mid-2000s there. But then we see Paul Thomas Anderson come out with There Will Be Blood in 2007. And people are like, hold the phone. This is his masterpiece. Like, undisputed. 
and then Tarantino comes out with bastards and it's like what the fuck like how do we have two guys like this making movies at the same time almost going like playing ping pong like like okay like what do you have what do you have and it comes all the way you know Django comes out the same year as the master you're like these guys are too fucking good at their job hateful eight comes out in 2015 then Paul Thomas Anderson is like, I'm bringing DDL back. We're gonna we're gonna do Phantom Thread. You know, we're gonna we're gonna impress people even more that I I have more range than you guys even knew. Uh, also, does Inherent Vice in that stretch. And then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Licorice Pizza could not be a better double feature for modern movies about late '60s, early '70s with a soundtrack playing basically the entire movie. And these guys are paying homage to what they loved as kids the era that they were born in, the era that created them as, as, as movie people. I'm like, do people realize how special it is to have two guys like this going toe to toe and they're, they're friends. Like they get along and they've hung out before and done cocaine together. That's great. I think it's great that we have two guys like that. That is fucking awesome. I've never made those connections before. That's really cool. And yeah, it is. I think it is like just two friends, you know, they can let you know, being like, well, what do you think of this? Well, what do you think of that? Well, what do yeah. you think of this? It's just, yeah. it feels like that kind of back and forth. Like, it's like if you and I became, you know, noted film directors, we'd just constantly be trying to like impress and one up the other one. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, well, what is Paul? Oh, yeah. Like, Quentin's like, I wonder what Paul thinks. And Paul's like, ah, oh, man, I hope Mr. Tarantino likes my movie. <laughs> you know, I'm, sh- I'm, I, I've just, it's too, it's too like coincidental that they like ride the same waves of kind of being like, fuck you to the public, but also like, all right, I'm going to make my masterpiece now. And they both did it around the same time with there will be blood and bastards, two of the best movies of, of the century coming, coming out uh, within two years of each other. And, um, you know, I, I love them both and I, I will never really like pick a side with those guys. They're just both. I just love them both. And they both bat, their batting average is like just through the fucking roof. Like they don't, they don't mess up. They don't fuck around. And if they do fuck around, it's better than most other people's best movie. And that's, that's, that's cool to have. I know, I know we're kind of stroking it with uh, these guys, but I don't really care. You know, that's, that's like what we come here to do. Um, You know, we're, we're talking about a a guy that's very important to kind of our, um, our admiration for this whole thing. Like, I mean, this is a big reason why we started, oscar sunday i mean our first episode was talking about tarantino and pulp fiction so he's been huge for me as as a fan just kind of getting excited for stuff you know um going to the theater for his movies is like one of the coolest things i can remember from my life yeah man it's you know i i I adore original productions and people you know making creativity and you know culture stronger by adding to it and these guys you know tarantino and and pta are two guys who are constantly doing that constantly reinventing themselves and you know bringing in incredible ensembles and crews to do their best work and that's just you know gravy for people like us who just eat this shit up it's wonderful yeah yeah feet feet fucking keep feeding us you know we're here we're (laughs) we're we're definitely ready for it Uh, i'm not leaving this buffet till i'm done eating correct and uh as long as they're yeah as long as you guys keep putting pizza out there and you know and and dessert and salads i'll i'll, I'll, I'll keep coming you know and bottomless soda <laughs> never leaving the table uh 
really cool that we have the same five movies for Brad Pitt. Is it ever? Fu- I don't think it's ever happened. No, not on a t- not not on a top five that ranges like there's a big pool of movies to choose from. We've both seen a lot. Yes. Um, so so I have Snatch at five. You have Snatch at five. Yes. I have Once Upon a Time at four. You have it at three. Mm-hmm. I have Fight Club at three. You have it at four. Yep. And then I have Bastards at two. You have it at one. And then I have Moneyball at one. You have it at two. It's very cool. That's that's fucking awesome. I'll never forget that. Um, do you do you do you see this ever changing? Is this pretty set in stone? You know, obviously, if he comes out with a movie where you're like, oh my god, but as as far as you know where we are now, is this pretty set in stone, or does it kind of change uh, depending on the depending on the day? Well, the thing with it's the thing with these five movies is it's not just great Brad Pitt performances. It's also five movies I really, really fucking like. Same. Same. And that's going to be hard to talk. I'm sure he's great in Benjamin Button. And I, no, I, I don't think it's going to crack the top five. I just, I think this is a pretty set in stone top five for me. Uh, Yeah, I know what you mean. He is great in Benjamin Button. And it's, it's just completely different than what we connect with. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a good movie and you know, it, it is, it is like a very unique David Fincher movie, but you know, the, like we obviously, there's four of these characters: bastards, Fight Club, Once Upon a Time, and Snatch. Where it's like Brad Pitt's just fucking gritty, going for it, doesn't give a shit. And then you got the Money Ball, where he's like, "I'm an adult," <laughs> <You know>? uh, <laughs> which is which is cool. It's cool that we that's what we connect with. But he's so good in Money Ball, and like the kind of you know definition of like a movie star's performance, drama, you know, docudrama almost. It's that good that we both have it here. So I, I like that. That's cool. We got we got four character actor performances and one movie star. Yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly right. Uh, fucking cool, man. Well, I, I I love doing these. I love doing these top fives. Um, I think it's a really cool way of you know finding out more about each other and getting getting to just talk about like you said, not just these performances but these movies. You know, we have two two Tarantinos a Bennett Miller, a Guy Ritchie, and a, and a David Fincher. Like, we like those guys anyway. So it's it's cool to kind of, you know, wrap that all in one. But uh, we are going to be going pretty heavy here into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I have a lot I have a lot to say about this movie. Um, just just crazy, crazy how they made, how this is made. Uh, a lot of issues with, a lot of, lot, lot of roadblocks with this movie because, Tarantino does does again doesn't really cut corners or, or half-ass stuff. So if he's making 1969 Hollywood, he's making 1969 Hollywood. And so a lot of the the shots we see, you you go past uh, the Westwood Village or the Cinerama Dome, or uh, you're just on the highway and you're seeing signs and different things for different businesses. Those were all they had to convince all these businesses that they were driving past to put up signs that were that replicated you know the six the, the late 60s and 70s and a lot of businesses are like we don't want to do that because you guys are gonna be filming this movie for whatever five months we don't want to do that the whole time what's amazing about that is all pretty much all those businesses from what i've read all those businesses once the movie was done being filmed they just left that shit up because it looked cool <laughs> and it, 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 it gives it kind of a period piece you know nostalgia thing for people oh like Let's go to the El Coyote, you know, and, and like it looks like the El Coyote from the 60s and 70s. That's more intriguing for people that are our age who weren't alive back then and didn't get to experience it that way. So a lot of like Los Angeles and Hollywood 
literally changed because Tarantino was like, I want to go back 50 years. Like that's fucking awesome. And there's little, um, I caught, I caught a few like little things that happen in the movie where you're like, ah, it's that's 2019. You see a, uh, when Sharon Tate, when Margaret Robbie's going to see her own movie in Westwood Village, you see a Starbucks uh, fucking in the background. And I was like, oh, man, I bet that bothered the shit out of Tarantino. And then when when Cliff is when Cliff is driving at one point, you see a subway and subway didn't exist uh, like until the you know late 70s. And you're like, oh, that's I'm sure that pissed him off so much, but there's nothing he could do about it. You know, um, just little stuff like that. I, I, I'm the more I watch this movie, that's the kind of stuff I'm, I'm paying attention to is like this movie is almost perfect in the way it captures a time and place without using really, it's like all practical effects, all of it. And that's, that's the Quentin Tarantino way. I am surprised that he didn't like pay for VFX out of his own pocket to just erase the Starbucks and the subway. <laughs> Yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> like he, he, he was, I'm surprised he didn't just say like, "Here's here's thirty million dollars, take care of it." the the budget The budget's insane for this movie because this is um this is his first time breaking away from the Weinstein's, right? Because of mm. you know because we, we all know what. Uh, so Sony, they're the ones who kind of were like, "All right, we'll give you we'll give you free reigns," and they gave him they gave him basically do whatever you want. You have final cut. You you can do whatever you want with this movie, and it, it you know it costs a lot of money and to hire Leo and Brad Pitt in the same movie, Brad Pitt for everything I've read, uh, all the, all the research I was doing about these two guys, Brad Pitt makes on average for each movie he's in makes on average 15 to $20 million. It's like, I mean, that's a shit ton of money. That's a, <laughs> that's, that's a huge chunk of your budget and Leo's around the same. So you got two guys who are, the definition of A-listers uh, at the top of your bill and that already most people couldn't do that. You know, most people couldn't make that movie with guys like that. So uh, Tarantino just doesn't, he doesn't want to, he wants everything to be perfect. And this movie is damn near perfect in the way he, the way he set everything up. Uh, I've got a few pick and nits with, with some of the, some of the decisions that were made some of the casting, but overall, man, this is like a dream. And if you love this era you kind of love um, that late '60s, going into the '70s. You know, all old Hollywood is passing, and here comes new Hollywood. It, it, it's like it's for you, you know. And I couldn't be more grateful for for what this movie is and what it represents. Yeah, I'll never like forget the fact that we we saw this like fresh off our giant Roman Polanski episode on the Filmgasm podcast. Yeah. There so many little things that we appreciated because of all the research we did for that, you know, like uh, Sharon going into that like secondhand bookstore and finding a first edition of Tess of the Durbervilles, Roman's yes. favorite book. And it's like, we, we know, we knew that. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was so, it felt so fucking rewarding. Yeah. And, and, and- like that stuff was so neat like you and i were looking at each other like holy fuck like like when 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 rick dalton pulls up and he's like that was roan plansky the director of rosemary's fucking baby you know like he's so amped up and he's like i'm i could be one pool party away from being in a plansky movie you know like that stuff was was really really rewarding and steve mcqueen you know and uh mama cass uh, cass elliott uh greets greets polanski and, and sharon tate at that at the Playboy Mansion, and like all that stuff is so rewarding, you know. And the um, uh, 
Sergio Corbucci. That's a real, that's a real guy. Yeah. Like, and, and, and I love how the narration's like, he's the second best, you know, cause we all know Sergio Leone is, is, is the man. And like, that's Tarantino's guy. Like that stuff was really fucking cool. And then he created Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth in the middle of all this. Yeah. Like who fucking has the balls to do that first off, you know, to fuck with real life. And and also have these two kind of monumental characters played by monumental actors, just everything mashes up, and you you're like this this is perfect, this makes sense. These guys could have existed. I do just want to want to throw out real quick. Do you know what film Sergio Carbucci is most known for? Mm, I don't think so. What what is it? 1966's Django. Okay, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I did. I did read that. I did read that. Which like, is like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. If you know yeah. that, you're just like, you got so many fucking layers of fan service happening in your own head that like, uh, no, not everybody is privy to. <laughs> you have this own like, just appreciation for like your own fandom. It's it's such a cool little thing. And he doesn't tell you any of this shit. He just assumes you're gonna know that if you're watching this movie. Yeah, correct. It's it's not a uh, spoon feeding. But if you don't know, it's still like really entertaining. Yeah. You know, you know, it like still has that Tarantino factor of like, I just make shit that's fun to watch. The runtime goes by like nothing. And that's like the power, power of him. One of my favorite things while watching it this time was because uh, I, I hadn't sat down and like watched the whole thing in, in a while since we went to Los Angeles back in December. And when 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 Margot Robbie when Sharon Tate goes to Westwood, dude, I I was like about to cry. I was like, oh, I mean, that's the Fox. That's where we went to see Licorice Pizza. Like, that's we we saw a Paul Thomas Anderson movie at that theater. Uh, she goes to the Bruin, which is across the street. Which when we were there, they were about to have a big Spider Man thing, and we were like, oh my god, that street was like we could live here. We could be homeless and live right here. <laughs> It'd be totally fine. There's two theaters right next to each other. And restaurants and, and bars and stuff and and it just felt like this movie kingdom and so to see sharon tate go there and one of the most charming and like beautiful scenes tarantino has ever directed is when sharon tate when margot robbie goes to see her own movie it's such like a beautiful beautiful scene because sharon tate let's be honest like her her legacy now is not her performances it's not her acting it's unfortunately being murdered by the, by the freaky Manson family. So it was really cool that Tarantino basically rewrote history for her. Like, hey, this girl was actually going to become a big fucking deal. You know, she she was probably going to have a really cool career. She was young. You know, she was, she was really young and she was going to have probably, you know, a 30 or 40 year career ahead of her where she was going to be, a, you know, a well, well-ranging performer. And like that, it was cool to see him be like hey let's remind people of like the life she did live and how how like how nice of a performer she was and how nice of a person she seemed to be uh, i i like really respected that and, and really respond to that i i love that westwood scene it's really cool yeah it was it was cool to, to have that moment of like i was i was there <laughs> yeah we we but, uh, walked we walked on that street and like saw a movie yeah it's really cool and it is, you know, it is unfortunately the, the ripple effect of of the Manson murders, you know, not just on on you know history, but also on popular culture. You know, losing mm. Sharon Tate put Roman Polanski into a spiral that you know caused him to make some really fucking terrible decisions. 
And I wonder, you know, in this universe where, you know, Cliff fucks these assholes up and Sharon Tate, you know, becomes friends with Rick Dalton and helps his career get back on track. Like what, what happens in that world? And I, I want to live in that world where we get to see, you know, where everything just worked out. Everything was fine. It, there's this, like the ending has this kind of just vibe of like, everything's going to be okay. And I, I like that a lot. It really yeah. just knowing, you know, what really happened and seeing what could have happened if we'd had a, a Cliff Booth. <laughs> oh, just, yeah. yeah. It's like a fairy tale at the end. The way, it, and especially with that shot that Tarantino uses of going up into the trees and into the clouds in the nighttime. Yeah. Like, and good night. You know, like that's such a cool, cool ending. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I can't, we're going to talk a lot about that finale. Um, let's, let's fucking get into our words, man. We clearly like this movie a lot. So let's do it. Uh, of course, we have the Quentin Tarantino Award for the best quote, which is cool. It's cool to say that and, and then be doing a Tarantino movie. Uh, we have the Ennio Morricone Award. For best music moment, I think Tarantino would like that as well. That we have Ennio Morricone in here, uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award for the best performance of the movie. Uh, then we finally have the Roger Deakins Award for the best scene of the movie. Uh, so yeah, let's let's fucking dive in, dude. What's your favorite quote? Which is, I mean, good luck. Yeah, I could have gone thoughtful here. I could have gone reflective, but I laugh every fucking time I hear this. It's Rick Dalton looking out his window at the old loud car in his driveway and just saying saying to himself bunch of goddamn fucking hippies <laughs> and then going out and confronting them with a blender full of margaritas in a bathrobe yes oh god i i fucking love love that moment and i love when he goes out there what the hell are you looking at you little ginger haired fucker <laughs> it's just, this is a private just, road yeah <laughs> You come up here to smoke some dope, huh? <laughs> it's fucking, yeah, he is. He drive is it backwards, but it. fucking drive it. <laughs> oh god, I oh, I love that moment when he looks out the window and he yeah the picture the and he's wearing a robe and like it's just he's fucking hammered, slurping oh, from like, a fucking blender. I just I love it. <laughs> this is. This is what Leo is meant to be doing. Not fucking Titanic. You know, he's meant to be doing this kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I feel the same way. You know, there's like some really cool stuff here that kind of like represents movie making and, and acting and like what it all means. But there's also just really, really funny stuff. Um, I, I, chose, I chose something kind of unique because normally narration can bother me. But I love Kurt Russell as the narrator. Uh, it's obviously a really cool touch. Kurt Russell's a guy that Tarantino fucking adores and has worked with. Um, so, and Zoe Bell, of course, is like a really, it's like a really cool kind of connection with all of them. Uh, they've, you know, they've done, done stunts, stunt work together and worked on movies together. And here we are. It's kind of like a culmination of their, their partnership. But when he's narrating, I love when Kurt Russell says, uh, as, as they're kind of coming to the end, you know, end of the road, with the uh, the the partnership they have as as Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth, stuntman and actor, uh, and he, <laughs> Kurt Russell says, when you come to the end of the line with a buddy who's more than a brother and a little less than a wife, getting blind drunk together is really the only way to say, say farewell. <laughs> such an awesome, such an awesome line. I love blind drunk is such a good good way of kind of looking at Rick and Cliff, these guys that they don't want to hug it out, they just want to get fucked up. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just want to hang out, watch some movies, drink some beer, smoke cigarettes all night, and just just be just be a couple of buddies who who know that this was a really cool era of their life and it's coming to an end. And I I love that because then with what happens at the end, you're like maybe there's maybe it's not going to come to the end because Rick Dalton is now probably going to work with Plansky. <laughs> you know, he's he's going to get roles, he's going to get big performances, he's going to become famous like he wants to be, and then he's going to have money to be able to pay. Cliff Booth as a stuntman, as his double. So it's like, it's a really cool line. I mean, Cliff saved his life for free. <laughs> yeah. But Straight up, man. Yeah, I love Kurt Russell's little moments of narration and just, yeah, their relationship is so hard to explain, but we all get it. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. Um, I toyed with uh, some stuff uh, when he's playing uh, Caleb Decatu in the Lancer pilot. Yes. And you get a little Calvin Candy in that performance. I love that. Yeah. Um, when the director tells him, all right, give me evil, sexy Hamlet. Yeah, yes. I love that so much. <laughs> evil, sexy Hamlet. Oh, it's so good. I love when he's like, you want me to be a fucking hippie? <laughs> it's like, he hates hippies uh, so much. Yeah, um, I, love, I love that kind of like storyline that keeps coming up that Rick Dalton does not like hippies. <laughs> oh yeah um oh, i had one i wanted to bring up um ah fuck i just it lo- i lost it maybe maybe it'll come back to me I, I i almost chose to me this is like some of the most impressive writing tarantino's done just as kind of encapsulating a lot of his thoughts about about what what, what about what's going on watching movies and it's the little girl trudy and she says I believe it's the job of an actor, and I say actor, not actress, because the word actress is nonsensical. It's the actor's job to avoid impediments to their performance. It's the the actor's job to strive for 100% effectiveness. Naturally, we never succeed, but it's the pursuit that's meaningful. That's so fucking awesome. (laughs) Fucking profound, man. I love it. Yeah, yeah. This is great. There's the other, I mean, and, and the whole ending, you know, like, when when Cliff's on acid, he's like, "No, I was dumber than that." You know, like all those little one-liners are—they just—they hit so well. They, this movie, this movie fucking slaps. It's awesome. Just looking at you know, like, can I help you? Yeah, like, not entirely sure this is really happening. Wait, Spawn Ranch. Woo! Yeah. You were on a horsey. Of <laughs> yeah. uh, one, I love is when they film that that pilot scene and. Uh, the little girl goes up to, to Rick and says, that was some of the best acting I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and Rick, his insecure ass, just gets so emotional and just whispers to himself, Rick fucking Dalton. Yeah, yeah, like, I, I love that. <laughs> oh, man, so good. Yeah, just, we could go on forever, you know, about, about, about quotes from this movie. It just, it just kind of keeps going. I even love, you know, that bit with Steve McQueen where uh, the lady he's talking to is like, well, Sharon clearly has a type. Smart and te- like talented people who look like 12-year-old boys. Yes, yeah. Steve McQueen's yeah. like, yeah, I never stood a chance. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Steve McQueen. That's one of my picking nits is uh, that's uh, Damien Lewis. Damien, Damien Lewis playing him. Yeah. That do not really work for me. And if Steve McQueen's at that party, is he really sitting on a rock smoking a cigarette, watching people dance? Steve McQueen is fucking Steve McQueen. Like, 
He, I think he's out. I think he's out there getting whatever woman he wants. That's the thing. He's not just watching people dance. He's watching Sharon dance. Yeah, I didn't Sharon. Yeah, that was that was kind that's of a whole weird, reason he's there. The way he's like prowling is 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 odd. And, and D- Damien just I just don't like it. Just don't, he doesn't look like him like at all. The guy who plays Plansky is pretty good. Like, see, I completely disagree with you about McQueen. I thought Lewis was perfect. I thought yeah, he I don't really know. captured like to me he looked at, like Steve McQueen like I bought that straight up. <laughs> Great. That was that's one of my like only casting like huh I think that could have been so I don't know who though. I mean who can really play Steve McQueen, you know. There's that's, he's he's a one and only. Well that's tough, you know. I mean casting, you know, modern day actors as, you know, the A-listers of the time, like that's that's almost impossible. I mean we've seen it done like you know really good like you know Kate Blanchett in The Aviator as Catherine Hepburn, but you do not see that a lot. It's, I just imagine that's got to be fucking hard. Yeah, yeah. Which is another thing that's really cool about the casting of of Leo is when they show you know like the bounty law stuff as Rick, you know Rick Dalton. He it like works. Like Leo, Le- it like it like if you didn't know who Leo was, and you were just watching that on your TV, you'd be like, "Yeah, this is a show from the fifties." So like it makes sense. He yeah. fits. He like fits any era. And Pitt, really the same thing with Pitt. These guys, they kind of fit whatever mold you, you want. That's like what's so unique about them is they're, 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 they're timeless. Just like, just like Paul Newman and Robert Redford and these guys who just, they come every once in a while. But when they do, they, you know, they're, they're fun to watch. Yeah, you're, da- you're damn right. Yeah, God, yeah. I love actors. <laughs> yeah, the Tarantino Award. It's so difficult to actually choose a winner. Um, the Ennio Morricone Award. Now, I've listened to this soundtrack about nine times over the past week because it fucking it's it's fucking amazing. It's about an hour and fifteen minutes long. There's music playing a lot, oh, like half of the movie. There's music playing. There's a little bit of score, but mostly soundtrack. That's that's what Tarantino does. You know, he loves finding songs that fit exactly what we're what what we're doing. So, what'd you choose? To quote my good buddy Caleb, this soundtrack fucks. Yeah, it does. It does. And Caleb, you know, I know Caleb's not like a huge, huge fan of this movie, but it does. It doesn't take uh, much more than a moron to know that the soundtrack is pristine. It it really is. And I had to go with a moment that uh, I've always felt was way more ominous because of the soundtrack choice. Uh, the song is "Brother Loves Traveling Salvation Show" by Neil Diamond. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. the scene where Cliff picks up Pussycat after running into her, for, you know, third time's a charm. And yep. if you know what's coming, if you know who the Manson family are, if you know about Spawn Movie Ranch, if you know all that shit, you're like, do not get in that fucking car. <laughs> like, you're like, I thought the first time I saw this, I thought that like we're going to lose Cliff at the movie ranch. <laughs> uh, yeah, I definitely thought that because it's late. It's late in the movie. You know, there's only like there's this movie two. it's two hours and 40 minutes like flat and that's about like at the hour 40 mark is when he actually gets to spawn ranch. And you're like, yeah, he's, he's dead. Well, and Tarantino's never had a problem killing off the lead actor in the middle of the movie. Correct. Correct. So, I mean, just look at Pulp Fiction and Django. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, but the song is, you know, it's so upbeat and it's, you know, it's this fusion of, you know, sixties free love and, you know, hippie anarchy murder that, kind of all happens at once and i love the the neil diamond song kind of reinforces both sides of that mm. it's because it's a song about you know a traveling you know church and 
you know, but, you know, has this love connotation to it, but at the same time, it's this, you know, kind of shady organization. So I love the song choice and yeah, it just, it just works. Yeah. That's a great pick. Uh, I love, I, I, I love how you can read into his, his soundtrack choices, the needle drops, you can kind of read into them. Yeah. Um, With the amount of work he puts into these, no song is a second choice or an accident. Like every little moment was chosen for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the, uh, I was listening to Tarantino talk about how he, how he kind of molded this soundtrack and how he, how he picked. And he, he said the most interesting and intense thing he did was uh, on YouTube. There's uh, these, you know, hours and hours of, of radio, like DJ patter where there's just, you know, yeah. Oh, try the new root beer mug, you know, like the, that kind of stuff. <laughs> that's like my favorite stuff in this movie when that's just, it's just random shit playing on the radio. Um, it, it's, it's like, that's like my, that's like my life. There's always something I'm like listening to or watching. TV's always on. The radio's always on. Podcasts are always on. I'm always consuming. That's like, that's like, well, that's like one of my flaws as a person. I cannot stop consuming. It's very, it's very hard for me to just like sit and be like, what did I do today? You know, and just like be pensive. Well, I don't do that. That's, that's, that's what we're doing right now. Like this is you being pensive. So like, I don't see Okay. I don't see your constant like consuming as an as a flaw. <laughs> I, I definitely do just because sometimes I'm like, do I know who I am? <laughs> I'm just always like Tarantino, Tarantino, yeah, <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson, Spike Lee, uh, John Luke Godard, Fellini. You know, just like I have to, I have to eat everything up, and and, and I won't stop. <laughs> That's good though that it's not a problem. But I love all that stuff. It reminds you; those little commercials remind you of. Even if it's a commercial, even if it's an ad, like we always just have shit on, always, constantly, and that's always been the case. Well, I love that Tarantino kind of mixes, you know, real history with some of his own bullshit, and you don't really notice unless you're paying attention. Like early on, when um when Rick has his meeting with uh with Schwarz, yes, little Al Pacino yes. action, love that. Yeah, yeah. He's listing the TV shows he's you know been working on, and he did a you know Ron Ely Tarzan, and he did a. Green Hornet, and he says he did a Bingo Martin. Bingo Martin's not a real TV show. A Green uh, Hornet, yeah. yeah. FBI, that was real. Combat, that's real. But Bingo Martin, Tarantino pulled out of his ass. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's. I looked it up. I'm like, I wonder. I wonder. You know, Bingo Martin. Who's Scott Brown? Let's let's look this up. They don't fucking exist. Yeah, Is I kind of felt awesome? like I'd been like I felt like I'd fallen for it. You, you got punked. Yeah, <laughs> I did. For a moment, I'm like, he fucking he got me. That's great, isn't that? that I, I have no problem being punked by Tarantino. Uh, I'll, I'll keep being punked. I, I love that about him. That he, I think he's making sure you're paying attention as a, like a dedicated viewer. He's like, "Are you really watching my movie, or are you just another person, another fucking guy who's just, uh, yeah, Brad Pitt was great." You know, we're I, like really, you're really trying to trying to figure out what is his goal here. I bet that's exactly what he's fucking doing. He's weeding out like his his idea of like true fans. And it's kind yeah. of fucked up, but I, I get it. I, I totally get it. And you got to think that when he's, when he's making these movies, it's, it's almost like he won't be able to sleep unless he knows every decision was like every decision, whether it be true or not, or fiction or nonfiction has to be a choice and has to be direct and it has to have something behind it. Otherwise he's like, why would I make the movie? 
<laughs> if I can't make a decision every split second, then like, what, what's the what's the point? You know, uh, I I've always loved that about him. I've always loved that attention to detail, and his his vision is is so far beyond like I think most humans like most human brains like can't reach that far. A lot of a lot of people will have like you know, tons of cameras on different, different angles. He uses one camera because he knows like exactly what he wants. This is, this is the shot. Whereas like he's talked about his admiration for guys like, you know, Tony Scott or Brian, Brian De Palma who are like, I'm going to have 13 cameras on one scene just in case I miss something. Tarantino was like, I didn't miss anything. I know what, I know exactly where I want to go with it. That's fucking awesome. (laughs) There is so much ego behind that. But Fuck yeah. Fuck it's, yeah. It's fucking earned at this point. It's like if you make that many masterpieces, like yeah, how do you not think you're God's gift to cinema? Yeah. I don't really care. You know, I don't really care because I've been listening to him more and more because he's he's starting to like be on more stuff and be more open to the public. And he's definitely I, I he's winding down. He's winding down his actual directing career. He's gonna, you know, he has a child now. Uh he's 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 moving, he's moving to a different stage of his life for sure. And I, I respect that he's kind of out there now and kind of like sharing more of his secrets and sharing more of like his what like his techniques and what he does. And so I've been eating that up. Any podcast I see him on, I'm like, fuck yeah, I'm listening to that. Uh, him and Roger Avery are, are all over the place now. And like that's pretty special. If you're a cinephile, you know, that's stuff you can eat up. Earlier today I saw he um he declared Jaws the greatest movie ever made. Oh yeah, yeah. I've, he he says stuff so definitively, and I'm like, I I want to be like that. He's like, no, he's like, no. Like, like, no, this, like this he has is. spoken. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he said multiple times over his own movies. He's like, Social Network is the best movie of the 2010s. He's like, and if you, he's like, if you think differently, you're wrong. <laughs> you're you're like, what? <laughs> this guy's fucking insane. <laughs> he's literally telling you like, this is the greatest movie of all time. Not what do you think the greatest movie of all time? It's like, no, it's this there. It's not an opinion based thing. Like it's this. I am the dictionary. Yeah. Like I, 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 I'm, I'm the ruler and I almost don't care. Cause I'm like, this guy's seen so much and he cares so much and he can recall things. I was listening to him talk about movies from 1987 and he's seen, um, uh, what's that Spielberg movie Empire of the sun. Yeah. He's seen that movie one time in theaters. And this that's 35 years ago. And he recalls it like it's yesterday. I'm like, how the fuck do you do that? He's like, oh, yeah, I remember this one shot that I really liked. Like, what? What the fuck is wrong with you, dude? Like, you were, you were like in your 20s watching this, this, this Spielberg movie that you haven't seen since, but you can remember it the way we're talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's like, what? This guy's got a different gear in his head that we we don't have. People don't have. That is interesting. I I have some thoughts of my own, but I don't I don't want to say them in a recorded. St- I'll I'll tell you when we're done. Okay. <laughs> I don't want I it to come back and bite me in the ass. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. I love stuff like that. That that's that's the juice. Um. So your your Inyo goes to Neil Diamond. I love yes. that. That's a great great needle drop. Really really big moment in the movie too. Um, I went with something that just uh, is like just fun and cool. Um, it's when Bob Seger's rambling, gambling man is playing, and Cliff Booth, Cliff Booth is driving fucking fast as shit down the highway, going to his um, going to his trailer behind the Van Nuys uh, drive-in drive-in theater. 
yeah just it's just a really amazing bit of 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 here's movie star here's great needle drop driving you know just fucking mash it all up and that's how you make movies it's awesome <laughs> i was this close i was this close i had that written down before the neil diamond song and then i was like no i'm gonna go with the neil diamond song yeah but that was so, that was so close to being my pick <laughs> it's uh it's a badass song bob seeger's underrated man i love i don't think our generation quite understands how big he was i fucking love bob seeger like nobody makes me reflect more than bob seeger doing like you know night moves or against the wind i have this moment of like have i made the right decisions in life like, yeah. do you not <laughs> yeah it's just like the it's like the the pensive man uh kind of music where you're just kind of like yeah i'm gonna sit back have a cold beer and think about think about my life yeah listen to some listen to some fucking seeger yeah he's he's one of those guys i feel as i'm getting older and and like you know getting closer to 30 than i am 20 I'm, I start to listen to guys like this more often, you know, you're like, and I'm a dad. I'm like, I, sh- I should listen to more dad music. And Bob Seger is a dad. He's a dad guy. Absolutely. Like you can't be a dad without bringing Bob Seger into your life. It's like part of the contract. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I, I used to be, um, when I was like a teenager and a lot of my friends would make fun of me for some, like the, some of the music I would listen to just cause it wasn't as, you know, hip or new or whatever. Uh, but now I don't give a fuck. And so like, I've, I've leaned more into being like, I love Pearl Jam. I don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't matter what anybody says, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dad fucking even flow, you know, uh, don't, don't really care. That's great. Yeah. It's, it's always a great freeing moment where you just have this epiphany of like, I truly do not give a fuck what other people think anymore. It's just, it just disappears. Yeah. It's I'm just, ha- <laughs> I care. I care what I think. And yeah. I think, I think Pearl Jam rules, you know, and I think Bob Seger rules. So, yeah. So yeah, I've chosen that. I, I, it's just one of the, one of those moments uh, in a movie where you're like, I love, I love needle drops. I love that this is a part of movies. You know, it, it reminds me of the, the, the tracking shot in fight club when Tyler Durden is walking down into Moe's at that, that bar, like going down to the basement and fucking uh, Tom Waits way out West is playing like, mm. fuck yeah, dude. You know, it's just, feels good to just watch a superstar going down somewhere going driving or walking and cool music's playing like it's simple i nearly went with um i don't know this i don't remember the name of the song but it's a paul revere and the raiders song that's playing when uh when we meet charlie manson yes because that was just creepy i mean we don't even like the movie doesn't tell you who he is you just have to know who he is correct and if you don't know who he is, you're like, what the fuck was that? That had no point in this movie. But if you know who he is, you're like, oh, shit. And the song is so cheery. And, you know, he's looking for Terry. And you're like, that's the fucking reason he attacked this house. It's ugh, it's it's a rewarding moment, but also just really creepy. And that guy in that brief bit was like really good as Manson. He later would play him again in Mindhunter, which is really cool. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He That was good casting like that. He looked like him, had the same kind of weird weird shit-eating grin that's like ugh, gross like that's that's a that's a crazy moment I, I i like that because you also get a really cool quote from from margaret robbie from sharon tate she's like what's wrong jay like are you scared of me telling jim morrison you you like paul revere and the raiders like are they not cool enough that's a cool like look into late 60s like pop culture and like what people thought was cool and what wasn't same thing as what we're talking about with like what we think is cool and we don't care what people think you know um yeah. I, I love that. That's I, I've always, I've always liked that scene a lot because because of the implications for 
for real life and then also the fictionalized version of what we get at the end of the movie. So good shit. Um, Philip Summer Hoffman Award. Here we go. Who wins the movie? This was uh, this was difficult. There there are contenders here, and I ultimately, you know what? I know this is a Brad Pitt episode, but I I have to give this to Leonardo DiCaprio. Hundred percent. Rick fucking Dalton. This is Leo's best performance of his entire career. That is high praise. I I don't I don't like what's competition. You know, like he he's doing so much in this movie. Any he. he this never happens in Tarantino movies. He improvises. He actually got to improvise the uh, eight whiskey sour fucking yeah, rant. That was right. improv. That's that's all him off the dome. Like Leo is fucking lights out in this movie. Can't believe he didn't win. Like Joaquin Phoenix and Joker. Like fuck out of here with that. Like Leo is outshining him like by a quarter mile. Uh, uh, yeah, I love Pitt in this movie. Love Margot Robbie in this movie, but Leo is, he's, he's why I'm laughing the whole goddamn time. Yeah. He's just so ridiculously insecure. It's just, he, he's, his career is fine. Like, I love that he sees, you know, doing spaghetti Westerns as like the, the final nail in the coffin of his career. Yeah. And he's like crying yeah. in the, don't let the Mexicans see you cry. <laughs> he's like, God damn it, I gotta do goddamn Italian movies. It's like, what's so bad about that? I gotta do fucking goddamn Italian movies. I love Cliff's just like, what's the problem? Like, yeah, who cares? We get to go, yeah, we get to go to Italy, hang out with like supermodels. What are you talking about, man? Yeah, it's just yeah. like when he's talking about, you know, when he's telling um Tru- uh, Trudy? Trudy, Trudy, yeah. Trudy, oh, the- about Bron- the Bronco Buster? Oh, yeah, and he starts man. crying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! But yeah, the, the, when he's just having the, the meltdown in his trailer because he fucked up his lines, when he's like staring at himself in the mirror and he's like, "If you don't get these lines right, I'm gonna blow your brains out tonight." Yeah, yeah. That's 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 also my that's my Deacons. That whole run of him fucking up and being like line, you know, and and that, Timothy Oliphant's great in that scene as well. They're going back and forth. It's like it's a really unique scene because you got a lot of layers of acting going on. You got. You got Leo playing Rick Dalton, playing Lancer. You know, like it's these three things going on at once. And I, and when he messes up and he goes in there, it is, it is basically put camera in the trailer and let Leo be Leo for, 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 for three minutes. And just, we'll just, we'll just hit, we'll just hit record and whatever happens, happens. And it ends up being my favorite part of the movie because then he goes back and he fucking lights it up and everybody's like, damn, like you, you tore that up and he's he's improvising in that scene in in Lancer. He's like, you beaner Bronco Buster, like what the fuck? <laughs> he's saying crazy shit and being super racist. And it's like this incredible thing that Leo's Leo's doing all at once in that scene. And I've always loved that stretch of the movie. Like we that's just Tarantino being like, I'm having fun right now, you know, I'm just having a blast. Well, also when I found out, you know, Lancer was a real show in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah, and like you know, the character Timmy uh, Timothy Oliphant's playing uh, Jim Stacy was the like a real actor who starred on that show, so he had to play you know Jim Stacy playing. Uh, yeah, I can't. I can't Johnny, Madrid. Johnny Madrid. Johnny Madrid. Yeah, Johnny Madrid. <laughs> such a cool name. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that's such an impressive stretch of the movie. It, it's cool to see you know Rick being an actor. 
and showing that he's a good actor who really does deserve, you know, a chance to rejuvenate his career. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> That's a great, yeah. Great pick. Yeah. I, I've always adored that. And like, while that's happening, cause Tarantino keeps going back and forth while that's happening. You also have the cliff booth, Mike Moe scene, uh, the, the, you know, the Bruce Lee scene. That's, that's gotten the most hate uh, out, out of the movie. I'd say that's gotten the most flack. I think it's a great scene. I think it's hilarious and really, really good stuff from Kurt Russell and Zoe Bell there where he's like, pack your shit and fuck off. (laughs) It's so good. So you're going back and forth between that, like those two guys just in their own world, just tearing it up. It's really cool. I've never had any problem with the Bruce Lee scene. I know a lot of people are like, you know, how dare you attack that man's legacy? Tarantino's not attacking Bruce Lee's legacy. That is a scene of Cliff Booth remembering his version of Bruce Lee and his version of Bruce Lee was this arrogant gas bag. He didn't think could actually fight. So real Bruce Lee was, we never saw real Bruce Lee. That's Cliff's Bruce Lee. So yeah. Yeah. To me, that's like, you can do that as much as you want. Yeah, I agree. And I don't know, like the people that got outraged about that, you know, of course they're, they're like, he had like family members that were like, Oh, like fuck you. But there was also just like normal, Normal movie people who are like, shame on you, Quentin. It's like, are you? It's a fucking movie. Like, get over yourself. Like, have you seen? Have you seen his other stuff? Did you know what you were signing up for? You think that man has any shame left? Like, you, you you have not been paying attention. (laughs) Yeah, I. It's really this movie is quite polarizing. Like on on Letterboxd, it's really interesting to read the negative reviews for Once Upon a Time. These people who are just up their own ass and are just like the violence was the violence was over the top at the end like what did you think you were going to see have you seen Django like I, I have you seen the Gimp scene from Pulp Fiction like this guy likes to do this stuff like this is what he does from the beginning you know we saw Mr. Blonde cut off a cop's ear and douse him in gasoline like this has been <laughs> who he was since the beginning yeah like god fuck off you know I, I can't stand that. I can't stand when all of a sudden because of like the cancel culture we're in and, and everybody being on Twitter and fucking having their own, you know, they can put their own thoughts out there and there's no fucking rules about it. You got people who are just always going to be like, shame on you. You know, this happened, this happened, same similar thing happened with, with licorice pizza. The people who were mad at that movie were mad at the scene where the guy's making fun of his wife, wife's, um, yeah, what I think she's she's Chinese or she she has she has a really thick accent. Yeah, and he's like make, he's like making fun of it. People are like, shame on you, Paul. You should know better. It's like, dude, it's a fucking movie. Like, get over it. He's not he's not crucifying anybody. Like, it's just a movie that's based in the fucking seventies. All right, that kind of stuff happened. Same thing with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This kind of stuff happens. Get yeah. over it. I mean. I think the violence was totally justified. I wanted to see these fuckers die. I mean, I yeah. know what they did. What they really did was killed a pregnant woman and all of her friends. So, and, I and see like, them suffer. <laughs> and the Mansons did much more. You know, they like, they, oh, yeah. they you know, like, I, yeah, yeah. And, and like in Django, it's great. The, the, the finale is great. You're like a bunch of racist people get killed by a black guy. This is fantastic. Like, that's the thing. It's Tarantino. His, his, his uber violence is always justified. It's Nazis or it's slave owners or it's serial killers. Like they deserve to be brutally ripped apart. And I want to see it. 
<laughs> yeah, and I, and with him, it's not like that's all it is. You get yeah. a you get a whole goddamn movie with amazing production design, great performances, great screenplay, and good story to go along with that. So it's not just out of nowhere. You know what's coming if you know anything about history. Like if you know anything, you're like, this is probably not going to be pretty. You know, I mean, I just I can't can't stand that. The, the, the Mike Moe thing, the, the Bruce Lee thing, I understand that argument much more than the violence argument. Much more. Because that, that's tough. That's tough for like his family members, people who actually knew him and whatnot. But also, that was good press for Bruce Lee. That like put Bruce Lee on the front lines of like, oh, let's go back and watch his old movies and, and like appreciate his, his, you know, his career. Because there's a lot of people who, who haven't done that. So yes. I, do th- I do think there was something good about that whole thing. Um, and I, I love that scene when they have the friendly contest and they're, you got Cliff Booth and Bruce Lee going at it. It's cool. Yeah. I want to know who the hell, you know, where did Cliff learn to fight where he can keep up with Bruce Lee? <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, uh, and I'd love, to, I'd love to see Bruce Lee and Muhammad Ali fight, Cassius Clay fight. Like that'd be, yeah. I mean, come on, come on. It's I cool to think about. I love Bruce Lee, but I do think Cliff is right. I think Cassius would fuck him up. That's just... I, I, yeah, I think I think Cassius would almost fuck up anybody that's ever lived. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's 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 fun. To, it's fun to think about. And Tarantino's like, it's, I'm gonna put it in my movie. You know, it's essentially just you know big budget fan fiction. Like so, that's pretty exactly. much what he's doing. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I'm I'm always willing to read and hear the other side of things. But man, there's there's this letterbox community out there that's just like, let's just attack. Anything that people like, let's a fucking attack it. It's like, can, can you go like, go save some whales or something? You know, like fucking, can, can you go over there and stop? Like, stop, get off your fucking high horse. Like, just stop. And I, I, the, I get, I get like humor out of it. I'm like, oh, let me read another one star review of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. See what this fucker's pissed about, you know? And and they're usually just just fucking ranting about nothing. So it's. It's funny. So yeah, fuck them. Here we are. Here we are. We're, uh, I, I do think some of that conversation is over now. I think most people just like this movie. I think most people appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, when it came out, you know, there's always going to be some kind of discourse and people do like to be heard. God, do they like to be heard? Yes. My voice matters. Yeah. Like I'd say about 15% of voices actually matter. <laughs> if that, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. that's being generous. Yeah. It's yeah. We're being nice. Um, all right, so we got off track there a little bit, but it's it's all it's all in the name of the name of the game here. Uh, yeah. What's your de- what's your deacons? It's always been Cliff and Brandy fucking up the Manson family. I, <laughs> yes, nothing's beaten that. That is one of my favorite bits of film I've ever seen. Just when I when I when I saw that for the first time, I couldn't look. I don't think I blinked for like three minutes. I was like, "What? This is amazing!" <laughs> Just from you know Tex Watson getting a pit bull to the balls from the the girl getting slammed into the phone and a fucking dog food can right in the face it's like yeah fuck all of you yeah and the, fl- and and the just, flamethrower yeah. oh god just i love rick just freaking the fuck out like what the fuck when she falls into the police like he didn't even know what was going on and his immediate oh, no. reaction is i gotta get the flamethrower <laughs> which is great because we saw that from the beginning of him being like anybody order sauerkraut I do love when he's like when he's like practicing with the guy and he's like, oh, that's that's too hot. Can we do anything about that heat? The guy's like, 
Rick, it's a flamethrower. <laughs> can, can we do anything about that heat? Oh, Rick Dalton's such and like they a just let him such a diva. That they let him keep that. Like he just I don't know much about, you know, weapon laws. I don't are you allowed to just legally own a flamethrower? I I don't know. Maybe in nineteen sixty nine. I don't know. Maybe in Texas, honestly. I you could probably own anything down here. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think there's any rules. Like if somebody had like a small tactical nuke, I'm sure they'd be able to argue like yeah. I have a permit. Yeah, I have a I have a uh, catapult in my backyard in case in case anybody comes by. Oh my lord, that's but, great. Yeah, that whole stretch is just awesome and so cathartic for you know people who know about what happened to the to Sharon Tate and her and her friends. And then the ending to just see you know Sharon be like, "Is everything okay down there?" I'm like, "You all right, Rick Dalton? I'd love to meet you." And he's like, "Well, the hippies aren't okay." Yeah, <laughs> but, that's. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Burns him to a crisp. <laughs> I love how casual Jay Sebring was about that. It's like, oh, he's, he's still got the flamethrower. He's like, yep, still got the flamethrower. He's like, yeah, from McCluskey. Yeah. Like, yeah, he totally knows what's going on. He's like, wait, you're Rick Dalton from Bounty Law. <laughs> he's like, Jay Cahill. <laughs> Such a cool bit. Oh, man. Yeah, and, and, and that that touch of, of Sharon Tate being on the intercom, it, it's almost like He's gone to heaven. It's like an angelic voice over well, the intercom. The gates to the, you know, the Polanski house yep. are like the fucking pearly gates. Like he's entered the promised land. Yeah. And everything's his career is going to be saved. Like the hippies, you know, the hippies died so that Rick Dalton's career could live. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that great? <laughs> oh man. So that, so that scene, the way I interpreted this, 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 this watch was, and maybe you've thought about this before. I've definitely toyed with it, but I haven't put it all together. That scene, it's brilliant. <laughs> so well done. I also love the Maya Hawk character like running off and taking the car and just leaving. I'm like, that's fucking great. Ethan Hawk would be so proud. <laughs> Ethan, Ethan and Uma, they'd be so proud of their daughter. Um, but when, when, when they do go in and Rick Dalton's in the pool listening to music, doing his own thing or whatever, and Cliff is there by himself with, the, with his dog. That... That is a, a clear, to me, a clear analogy for when the hippies first show up and you see Rick Dalton go out there, what we talked about earlier with the pitcher. He goes out there, he's the star, he's like the star of the show, and he's like, hey, get the fuck out of here. I told you. Yeah. Then he, leave, he leaves, he goes behind the scenes. Cliff does the real dirty work with them by beating the shit out of all of them and killing them. And Rick gets all the praise at the end because... Cliff goes off to the hospital and Rick gets introduced to Roman Polanski's girlfriend and their friends and goes into, like you said, the pearly gates of heaven and moves on to the promised land of acting. It's, it's Cliff doing what he's always done. He's being the stunt guy. He's doing the dirty work. Yeah. And Rick, Rick comes in with the, with the, with a big swoop and like, that's it. You know, he, I mean, he doesn't do anything. He just points a flamethrower at a girl and, and lights her ass on fire. Cliff fights three people successfully with his dog and like and and destroys them like i mean does not like hold you know there's not holding anything back and he's on acid which is which is another great touch that he smoked an acid dip cigarette that's that's how i see it that's how i see that scene unfolding one of the more interesting things i've read is that the movie sort of comes to an end when cliff goes to walk the dog and smokes the acid dip cigarette and he envisions 
what would happen to the people that he ran into at the Spawn Ranch. That is, that's all imagination. It's his violent tendencies coming out because that's what happens when he envisions what happens with him and Bruce Lee is like his version of this violent thing that happened. And he's like, I got to be the guy who fucking threw Bruce Lee into a car. I don't, I don't agree with that take, but I do think it's fascinating. That it's interesting, but it falls apart when Cliff leaves and JC brings aware of what happened and him and Rick are talking about it. Exactly. The neighbors coming in by that, by that logic, it would mean that it's Cliff Booth's and Rick Dalton's dream that it's an yes. imagination of both of them. And, and only one of them's on acid. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't a shared trip because Rick's not tripping. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love, love the idea. Oh, I love when Cliff Cliff is like waving his finger and he's like, Oh, Whoa. <laughs> I love when he's trying to open the dog food and he's like, I'm doing the best I can. Yeah. He turns the light on. He's like, oh, bad idea. <laughs> but I love that idea that like, yeah, it's it's a metaphor for, you know, the actor stuntman relationship. You know, when yeah. this hits the newspapers tomorrow morning, it is not going to be, you know, stuntman saves actor. It's going to be Rick Dalton say, you know, kills hippies. Yeah. Lights a bitch on fire. Like that's that's what happened. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love that. I love that the the whole movie gets gets wrapped up into like a nice pretty bow right at the end. Like that's intentional. And I'm pretty positive about that. Pretty much like, yeah, that's gotta be what was going on there. Well also, but Cliff's whole arc throughout the entire movie is he wants to see his friend succeed. He wants Rick to have, you know, to be secure in his future. You know, he's constantly pepping him up like, Hey, don't let anybody ever forget, you know, you're Rick fucking Dalton. Don't, you know, don't forget that. That's that's awesome. And then in the end, he's like, you know, he's not trying to be, capture any glory. He's just, you know, come see me tomorrow, you know, but right now, you know, go go save your career with Sharon. It's like he's the best. Fucking cool, man. Yeah. God, you're you're a good friend. I try. Carrying his load. That's what he's always been doing. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's brilliant, man. What a great movie. Um are there any other scenes that like would be second place for you? The entire Spawn movie ranch scene is so fucking tense. And the first time you see that, you do not know what is going to happen. Anything could, like, the other shoe could drop at any moment. Yeah. It's so good. It's so well done. Dakota Fanning, like, you know, refusing to let him in the house to see uh, Bruce Dern. George. Yeah. (laughs) And then actually, like, it is true. He's like, he's blind. He's sleeping. Like, it's, I love that, like, you think he's dead the whole time. And I think I was supposed to be Burt Reynolds, right? Yeah. Then he, then he passed away. Yeah. 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 I'm always happy to see Bruce Dern. Soldier's way saves the day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's about a nine out of 10 on the tension scale there, which is true for that scene. It's about a nine out of 10 on the tension scale. Oh my God. Tipping at 9.5. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's moving room. Yeah. And then uh, just you know, Cliff, like going to, you know, to the car and finding his tires been speared by that half naked asshole the guy's like fuck you yeah just one punch and he's on his he's in the fucking air (laughs) so badass yeah fix it yeah can i wipe Uh, my nose no (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's a brilliant scene yeah that's that's brad pitt being like i could take on all fucking 90 of you and i don't give a shit you know (laughs) he's cliff booth is like let's go I'll, i'll i'll walk into danger any day and I love, I love when he says, I, you know, I've, I've escaped prison many times, you know, and I'm, it's, I'm not going to let a piece of poontang put me in, you know, this is, this is not the day. <laughs> so good. I always love uh, that little line where like she gets there and like her friends are like, you know, we love pussy. And he just goes, yes, we do. Yeah. 
<laughs> Such a that's a great line. Uh, yeah, we do. Yeah, <laughs> Lena Dunham. Like, what the hell is she doing in this movie? You know, there's just so many motherfuckers in this movie. I mean, Austin Butler is now like one of the most famous motherfuckers on uh, in the in the movie world from being an Elvis, and he plays a guy for like eight minutes in this movie. Yeah, Tex Watson, the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was dumber than that. <laughs> I'm the devil, and I'm here to do the devil's work. I love when later Cliff's recounting it to the cop. He's like, he said he was the devil and he was here to do some devil shit. That's not verbatim. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's such a good line. Uh, yeah, I feel like we could go on forever. I feel like I feel like this is one of those movies where we could go from minute one to the very last minute of the movie and just talk about every little thing that happens. Like it's just it's that kind of it's that kind of a film. It's just Attention to detail is amazing. Performances are amazing. The writing's amazing. So uh, yeah, this this is great. I love I love when we get movies like this where there's just so much kind of there's so much to just kind of dig up and kind of bring to the forefront. It's great. And there's fucking ten nominations here to go through. So we'll try to whip through these. Uh, there's two winners, but production design and, and best supporting actor. The other eight are just nominations. So we'll kind of go through these um, starting kind of from the back. Let's see. Always, always save best picture kind of for later because I, I definitely think that's a, that's a cool conversation to have. We've both seen all of these movies, so yeah, we can we can talk about a lot of these categories um, and ha- have a real opinion about it. Like like last week we did uh, Roger Rabbit. There are a couple categories where we were kind of like, ah, yeah, I don't really fucking know what what to vote here because it's just you know we were both going Die Hard and Roger Rabbit, you know, <laughs> the, the whole way. This this this. Um, this ceremony is different. So let's start with sound editing. All right. Sound, sound editing. I'm going to scroll pretty far here for this one. Uh, let's see. I love this, this ceremony, man. This, this is like one of my favorite movie years of all time. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Yep. Seen all five of these. Here we go. Sound editing. The winner Ford versus Ferrari. It beat 1917 Joker. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Star Wars, The, the Rise of Skywalker. This is tough. I mean, Ford vs. Ferrari, I mean, you get it. You know, you're using automobiles the whole movie, so I get that. I would, I get 1917. That is an impressive war movie. This is, it's, I think it's probably a toss-up between those two for best sound editing. But this is hard. I mean, the sound editing in Once Upon a Time is pretty tedious. Well, it's the little stuff like the, you know, 60s commercials and things like that. Like, all that counts. Um, uh, but Ford v Ferrari, I do get it. You know, the, those races sound sublime. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm okay with I'm okay with Ford v Ferrari taking this one. Yeah, it's it's one of those like oh yeah, this this movie's kind of like made for those technical technical reasons. So I I totally get that. I don't really get why Joker's there. Neither do I. Neither Star do Wars. I. I get Star Wars always gets some technical stuff. Yeah, and that, that's that's fair. But yeah, yeah, I don't think either of us are, are big Joker fans these days. We just kind of like. As time's gone on, I'm just kind of like, I'm, I'm indifferent. I don't really care. I like Taxi Driver and I like the King of Comedy. I don't need a hybrid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't need a musical sequel. Like, I, I, I really don't need that. Uh, and it's like coming out in two years. Like, just save it for later. I don't feel like hearing about it now. Um, best sound mixing. This one makes sense too. The winner, 1917. Yeah. Uh, it beat Ad Astra, another Brad Pitt movie, uh, Ford vs. Ferrari, 
Joker and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I, I get this. I mean, pretty impressive stuff in 1917. Yeah, that movie's a technical marvel and a very brilliant film that uh, I, I'm glad made a splash. Definitely. I think most people thought 1917 was going to win Best Picture going into the night. This the thing about this ceremony though, there's so many fucking hammers that it really was pretty unpredictable. Yeah, it kind of it's kind of like 2007 with No Country and 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 uh, there will be blood going against each other. It was it was an actual race. We didn't we didn't know. The following year, most people had Nomadland pinned for like yeah, that's gonna win. Um, this this past year felt like a true race. Coda and Power of the Dog felt like a true race that people were kind of unsure on what was gonna happen and. Uh, the odds kept changing as as the weeks were going by. So I love when that happens. But 2019 just happened to have like four like holy shit movies, and that's that's fun. We'll talk about that soon. Um, costume design. It's like it's an interesting group as well. I I I understand all of them. Uh, Little Women was the winner. It beat Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I, Little Women is like a typical costume design win, period piece. You know, Irishman, yeah, the movies like that are typically up. Um, my vote would be Once Upon a Time. I think, I think it captures uh, an era of Hollywood. That's, you know, I'm just always a fan of that when it captures like actual Los Angeles, actual Hollywood. Um, and like our main characters have have really unique looks. Like the Cliff Booth, He's wearing like moccasins and a Hawaiian shirt and tight jeans. And you're like, that's just, I, and now when I see that, I align it with Cliff Booth and it has that impact on me. Yeah. And Rick's wearing like orange leather jackets and shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. like he's, he, everything he wears is screaming, look at me, I'm famous. Yeah. It, <laughs> uh, for costume design, you know, it's always a safe bet. If it takes place in like 19th century England, it's probably going to win. Yes. With movies like The Irishman and Joker, like you need more than just like a nice pressed suit to impress me with costume design. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would give this to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood too. Yeah, Jojo Rabbit also, you know, does does a good job of, you know, obviously a really really dark era of of our of our history. Uh, I haven't seen that movie in a long time, man. I remember both of us being really high on it when we saw it in theaters. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I haven't sat through it in 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 a couple of years. Maybe I need to rewatch it soon. It's been been a minute. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to watch a World War II, you know, dramedy knowing yeah. what's what's going to happen, you know. Yeah, it's it's like a satire. Yeah, you're like uh it's funny, but the the places it goes, you know, are hard to hard to go to sometimes, especially with uh Scarjo's character. Yeah. Mm. Really tough storyline. Um yeah, uh best cinematography. <laughs> there we go. Mr. Roger Deakins took the win for 1917. He beat Rodrigo Prieto for The Irishman, Lawrence Scher for The Joker, uh, Jaron Blaschke for The Lighthouse. <laughs> we love that movie here. Um, <laughs> and Robert Richardson for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, for oh, this is tough. I, I would take away Joker and Irishman pretty quickly. And then I think it's kind of a three, three-headed monster here. It's really hard to to take anything away from what Deacons is doing in that movie. Uh, but goddamn, Once Upon a Time looks so pretty. 
Yeah. And, 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 the, and the lighthouses, there's nothing like the lighthouse, but I think I got to go Deacons here. I do too. You know, I've, I've talked a lot about how impressed I was by 1917, especially the cinematography. Uh, but like you said, there is nothing like the lighthouse. That movie is like, it is just itself. So I, I would have been comfortable with that one taking a win too. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I know what you mean. That's kind of, kind of where I'm at with it. It's cool to see Deacons get, get wins. Cause he's been doing it for so long and just is, you know, one of the best guys we have in that field. So yeah, it can't really take much away, but I wouldn't have been mad had he lost to Robert Richardson. Um, best original screenplay. Here we go. Got, got some stuff to say here. Um, Parasite won this award, Bong Joon-ho. And this is when we were like, holy shit. Uh, we watched the ceremony together and it was like, wait a minute. He takes that. Then he takes best director. And you're like, um, is this movie about to win? Is this it? Is this movie that has no performance nominations, which is fucking stupid? Is this about to win the big award? And one of my favorite Oscar nights of all time. Uh, it beat 1917, Knives Out, Marriage Story, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, I, I'd go Once Upon a Time for this one. Uh, I love, I love Parasite. It's so hard when two movies that I really respond to come out in the same year. Uh, I just, I don't know, man. We the the amount we just talked about, how many great quotes that wrap up like what movie making is and what it means to be an actor and a director and a perform, you know, a person who contributes to Hollywood and to Los Angeles and to to what we know as the movie world. Like Tarantino did such a good job of that in that movie. I, I'd have to, I'd have to, I'd have to vote for him. Bong Joon Ho is a close second. Noah Baumbach close third. Yeah, these are some hammers. This is a, it's a great category here. Um, as much as I do love the, the screenplay to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Parasite gave me something truly new that yeah. I've never seen before. And it pretty much introduced me to Korean cinema and was so brilliant and deserving that I'm just, I'm so glad that won. Yeah, it is, it is so unique. And such its own kind of beast, you know. Uh, we have seen movies that are, are 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 an ode to the old, you know, old old Hollywood, the golden age. But a movie like Parasite just doesn't come around. It just does not. You do not get parasites every year. It's not not happening. Um, so yeah, I, I get that. For and Ryan Johnson, you know, Knives Out's a solid screenplay as well. Um, the the nineteen seventeen screenplay is pretty thin, right? It's not like a screenplay based movie. But what is said is is pretty pretty profound. Yeah, I agree. It's it's mostly you know a visual spectacle, but it does have some some really poignant moments of of real human drama that elevate the film to me. Like it could have just been you know kind of a you know, Independence Day style visual movie, but no, they wanted to make something that resonated with the human heart, and I respect that. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Um... Let's move to the winners real quick so we can kind of do the winners, knock these out, then go to these these massive categories that I think we'll have, have some stuff to say. So production design, uh, that's a win for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It beat 1917, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, and Parasite. Yeah, I, I'd agree. Mm, all right. So the production design of once upon a time in Hollywood is amazing and fairly understated and subtle in places. And I like that, but the architecture of parasite. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah. the, the house, just, just the house is beautiful. It's, it's like, and it's like we're in an alien planet. It's, yeah. it's so unique to the film. And I, I don't know, man, this is, I mean, we get the occasional tie. <laughs> I think I would have, that's, that's the only way I would have been happy here. <laughs> is, is if it was a tie. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I think, I think that both homes, the homes of our, of our family that we're like really with the whole time. Uh, and then I think the family that lives in the giant house is the Kim's like that house is fucking bonkers, but I love the, I love the little house kind of in the, you know, in the doldrums, you know, <laughs> kind of like the way it gets like flooded and stuff. It just like looks incredible. And, uh, just a, just a modern masterpiece parasite just looks so good, written so well, directed so well, so many great performances. I can't believe no one was up for that movie really blows my mind, but, uh, we'll get there one day where we'll get more uh, international cinema represented in acting categories. I, I, I really hope that happens uh, as we move forward. Um, so yeah, I think, I, I think, I think, yeah, it is once upon a time versus parasite. That's kind of the story of the show for me <laughs> is these are two once in a lifetime movies going toe to toe, but they're polar opposite. Uh, I love it. Uh, best supporting actor, Brad Pitt wins, of course, for once upon a time, Tom Hanks was nominated that year for a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Good performance. Uh, Anthony Hopkins for The Two Popes. Pretty good. Al Pacino for The Irishman. Yeah, he's done better. And Joe Pesci for The Irishman. I like Joe Pesci in The Irishman, but he's also done better. I just wasn't a huge fan of that movie. Um, I personally would have gone a different route here. I think it's I think it's a crime that uh, my guy Sterling K. Brown wasn't nominated for Waves. I thought that was one of the best performances of that year. And he brings something to that movie that shook me to my core so i really wish he took one of those spots but nobody's taking this from brad pitt nobody yeah i agree um somebody i would have put up is uh john lithgow for bombshell okay yeah see to me he's like that's like the best performance of that movie yeah for me yeah i don't know al pacino and pesci are are stunt nominations regrettably yeah Yeah. fucking hate that shit man like Let's, let's put people in there that are really going for it. Honestly, God rest his soul, Ray Liotta is better in Marriage Story than those guys were in, in The Irishman. Like, straight up. He, he, he gave that movie more than those guys gave The Irishman. I know there's some people out there who love The Irishman and will go to bat for it. Just not really for me. Not my kind of movie. I, the, the de-aging thing completely took me out of it. And I, I didn't think these guys were really, really going for it. And that's frustrating when you're watching a Scorsese movie with the old gang, the gang's all here. Like, why isn't this better? Well, I reiterate, you know, if, if your movie's going to be nearly four hours long, like you better impress me. Yeah. You better bring the thunder. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah you, I, I wanted so much more from the Irishman. Me too. Our expectations were quite high and they were, they were not met. Um, so th- those are the two that, that once upon a time got wins for supporting actor and production design. Now there's, Three more categories I want to look at. Best actor in a lead role, best directing, and best picture. So best actor. Just, ugh, this bothers me. Joaquin Phoenix wins for Joker. Antonio Banderas was up for Pain and Glory. Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Adam Driver for Marriage Story. And Jonathan Price for The Two Popes. I, I think I like all four of those better than Joaquin Phoenix and Joker. That's just me. I don't know about you. 
I think he's good. I, I appreciate the commitment to the role, but this does feel like a, Hey, it's Joaquin's turn. Oscar, like he should have gotten it for the master or for gladiator. I think like this wasn't the right movie. Yeah. Freddie Quell, the master is his best, his best stuff for me. Like he's, he's, he's like frighteningly good in that movie. And, and like Joker, I just don't think he's getting enough stuff to work with. Like, I think he's doing a lot with what he has. There's a lot of scenes where the cameras just point at him doing some weird dance. And, and like, that's what my fear is for like this musical sequel. I'm like, I, I, I don't know what, well, what's about to happen. I just, I wish Joaquin was doing other stuff personally. Uh, I, I do think he, I do think he's great. I am not yet convinced that that movie is actually going to happen. I think Joaquin's going to bail because of, you know, controversy or there's too much spotlight on WB now because of all the shit they've been doing. So I, I don't think Joaquin's going to stay with that. He just, he seems like the kind of guy to avoid any kind of spotlight. That that would be great. I, I, I would be, I'd be totally okay with that. Um, now, would you have, the, to me, the, the guy that should be up for Parasite is the guy who plays the dad. Kang Ho Song, right? He's just fucking incredible. We've seen him, we've seen him in some other stuff. Like he's really, really good in in a host, another Bong Joon Ho movie. He's really good in Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Mm. Uh, I I like love that guy. I think uh, he's he's great in um, Snowpiercer. Uh, he's definitely a Bong Joon Ho staple. Would he be up for supporting or lead? He'd be up for supporting for me because yeah. the son is like the movie is kind of through his eyes. Yeah, that's yeah, that's totally fair. I, th- I think I think Kang Ho should take Pesci or or Pacino's spot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's that's the guy that I that's my favorite performance from Parasite. The dad is so awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Um, but, I haven't uh, seen Pain and Glory, so I can't judge Antonio Banderas here. Uh, he's great. I think you really like that movie. Uh, good old Pedro. That's uh, that's one of the first times I, I was. Like, oh, this is a foreign language movie with a with a guy like Antonio Banderas leading it, and then I found out, oh, he's been in a bunch of his movies, and they like worked together for decades. I've yet to to dig into uh, Amadovar. I've I've got to do, especially I'm about to do a thesis on you know Hispanic representation in film. I, there's some directors I got to fucking look at. Yeah, and he's he's so fucking relentless, and like. You know, he's got movies that he just doesn't he just doesn't care. He'll he'll show anything. He'll he'll film anything, he'll get wild with it, just go crazy. And I I've responded to to most of his stuff that I've seen. And Pain and Glory is kind of like a movie about him. Like Antonio Banderas is playing a version of him. So I really like that performance. But it's not as good as Leo. <laughs> it's not as good as this is Leo's Oscar. To me, it's either Leo, it's Leo number one, Adam Driver number two. Uh, I think Driver's doing like a classic thing here where it's like, holy shit, that guy. That, guy, that guy's doing what like m- movie stars do at some point in their young career where they just show what they got. They show what kind of juice they got, what they have in their bag. And I think Adam Driver did that marriage story. And now we're going to see it kind of keep going with his career. But but Le- this is Leo's best performance for me ever. And to not reward him for it, like, like really bothers me. <laughs> like I, I, I like what he's doing in the Revenant, but this movie, there's just something about what he does as Rick Dalton and all the layers that he goes through and the improvisation. Like 
he's 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 amazing in this. I think it's going to get forgotten over time how good he is. Yeah, you might be right, but he he does deserve it. Um, I do enjoy. I I do love that Jonathan Price was nominated. I've always loved he was his good. Work. Yeah, and you know I, I love when a character actor ends up becoming you know Academy Award nominee Jonathan Price. That's just great. Yes. Uh, but yeah, Leo should have taken this. That would have been really cool. It would have been awesome if Joaquin swept every other award and then Leo gets the Oscar. Ah, that would have been music to my ears. But uh, yeah, we, we we all knew what was happening, and Joaquin went up there, gave gave an interesting speech, and and was got his first you know got his first Oscar. So um, we'll see what he does from here. But I'll always take Rick Dalton, man. Always best director. Here we go. This is a Interesting group. Uh, Bong Joon-ho won for Parasite. Uh, he beat Sam Mendes, 1917. Martin Scorsese for The Irishman. Todd fucking Phillips. Todd Phillips, the guy who directed The Hangover for Joker. And Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. What, what do you got? Why did the Academy suck Joker's dick so hard? I don't know. It got more, it got more nominations than any movie this year. It's like, Why? I don't understand. Neither um, do I. Neither do I. Damn, this is this is a toughie. Um, God, Sam Mendes is doing incredible work with 1917, but Bong really is just clearly delivering his masterpiece here. And I love that he did win. I love that he like you know paid homage to the people who inspired him at this you know in his acceptance speech. It's like he beats Scorsese and Tarantino, and he's like, holy shit, like that yeah. was cool. And yeah, it's a. I just love that he kept going up there. Like he had a speech prepared for every category he was in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just looked like a kid in a candy shop, just like oh, this is the greatest night of my life. I'm having Walking a blast. Out, he's like you know just loaded with Oscars, just like <laughs> crazy. But yeah, Bong Joon Ho gets it for me. Yeah, he does for me too. Now this is where I think Parasite edge like it beats beats. Beats Once Upon a Time, beats Tarantino, is I do think that overall the direction of Parasite and what it accomplishes, where it goes, where it takes you, as far as like the social commentary and what the story means and how it is very applicable to to a lot of our lives, you know, when we look at what class we're in and how much money we make and what fucking tax bracket we're all in. Like Parasite matters for like those conversations, and I think Bong Joon Ho like took it to really cool places, and and it's a complete genre bender. Uh, there's a time where you you're like, it's it's like Michael Myers is all of a sudden on the screen, and he's got a he's got a knife, and he's stabbing people, and you're like, where did this come from, you know? And then there's times where it's like hardcore drama, like family drama. And there's, you know, major thriller things going on. So I, I love that about Parasite. That's it's, it's taken everything. What takes it for me, though, is the way Bong Joon-ho is able to literally change the style of the movie. Yeah. At will, at will like that. Like when it becomes a horror movie, it suddenly feels and looks like a horror movie. When it needs to correct, do drama, correct. it becomes drama. When it's comedy, it morphs into a comedic style. I don't know how he did that. And I've never seen it outside of this movie. It's fucking genius. Yeah, and and everything he said about making this movie was he's like everything was on the fly. Like they just did everything on the fly as things were going. They so it's like he's just making these. He's just adapting, and he thought this was just going to be another movie. 
like another movie under his belt. And it ends up being, this is going to be the movie he's remembered for. Like by, by pretty far, you know, I, I love a lot of his work. You know, I think Oak just like really, really pleasant watch. Right. I think, I think there's some great stuff going on there. I'm a huge fan of host. That's probably my favorite of his movies where it's just a fucking monster movie. And, but parasite is this ingenious work that everybody's going to remember it for. It's going to be talked about for, I think like hundreds of years. Yeah, you're not wrong. This is, you know, I mean, it swooped up immediately by the Criterion Collection. Yeah. It's going to be taught in schools. It's going to be remembered as one of the greatest films of all time. Yeah. My my favorite change in the movie is when the, the, the family, they're all hanging out, doing their thing. And the the maid comes back. And it's raining and she just looks scary as fuck. You're like, there's, it's not her fault or anything. It's just the way the rain is. And just the moment they all think they're safe and they're hanging out in this house. and No one's there. They're like, look at this fucking giant house we have. We're poor, but we're living like Kings right now. And she comes back and they have to, they have to like make up a whole thing on the fly. And that's clearly when the movie just changes, changes direction completely. And it's seamless. When they go down to the basement and they see her fucking lean, leaning against the wall with her feet up against the wall and her hands and she's like, they're like, what are you doing? You know? It's so so creepy and so well done, so well shot. Uh, it's making me want to watch it right now. Like, that's how that's how I feel when I talk. When I go into Parasite, I'm always reminded of like, man, it gives me chills just thinking about it. And that's, like the, that's the sign of a clear masterpiece. Yeah, that, I remember thinking, like, what the fuck is about to happen now? Like, there's a secret room in the basement with yeah. her husband just chilling down there for God knows how long. Like, it's it's insane. I I, I, remember, I truly did not know what to expect with that one, and I was just blown away. Yeah, when, when I saw it, I called you. I don't do that very, like, like ever. I, I saw it in theaters for my bro- with my brother's birthday, my oldest brother. He had heard about it on a podcast and he's like, these people were raving about it saying this movie's amazing and it might be up for like a bunch of Oscars. And um, he was like, I want to go see it. So me and my dad and my oldest brother went and saw it. Uh, we saw it at the, at the Corey <laughs> that, that, Oh yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't like ever go there. I've seen a few movies there, but I'll never forget. I saw Parasite 1917 there. And uh, when we got out of the theater, I was driving home and I called you and I was like, dude, like, I think this has like a chance to like make some noise. Like you should go, you should go see it. I've never seen anything like it. And you're like, okay, I believe you. <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad, I'm glad you did. Cause then we both went into that night, the Oscars and we both knew what a special movie this was. Yeah. I, that, you know, I, I remember I went to see it after work by myself and I, at the time I didn't like seeing movies by myself, but the experience of that totally warmed me up to the idea that like, I can go, you know, I, I I can go by myself and just have like a, a bit of me time with a film. Oh, was, I love was... seeing stuff by myself. Love it. <laughs> yeah, it's it it is. It's it's not just the seeing the movie. It's buying the ticket. It's getting the it's getting the soda, getting the popcorn, whatever snack you get. It's driving home and thinking about what you just watched. It's all of those things that kind of like make up that experience as going to the theater by yourself. It's so beautiful. And I remember the theater was packed which was weird for a foreign film in Texas. That just doesn't happen. So that was exciting. Yeah. When I saw everything everywhere all at once with a packed house, I was like, this reminds me of Parasite. This reminds me of that kind of hype. 
behind a foreign language film that people are like, we don't care. You gotta go. You gotta go see it. Like the story is that good. Like that, that's it. I love that feeling. I want more of this. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Ah, God. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Well, so we both agree. Bong Joon Ho rightfully got that Oscar. Um, I would replace Todd Phillips with Noah Baumbach. Just throwing that out there. Uh, <laughs> I don't uh, like to be a snob, but he he doesn't belong here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll say it so you don't have to. Yeah, well, and like <laughs> if he if he belongs here, then where's you know the years and years of horror directors being? Where's John Carpenter? He should be he should have been here nine fucking times. You know, where's where's David Cronenberg? You know, like, you know what I mean? Where's, where's Ari Aster for Hereditary? Like, whoa. I don't know. It pisses me off. Uh, best picture. And what we're going to do here is let's cut it to five. Let's figure out a five that would actually, you and I both love when the category is, is more exclusive and, and, and sticks with the five instead of fucking nine or 10. So the winner is Parasite. It beat 1917, Ford vs. Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, and Once Upon a Time. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine movies. Parasite obviously is in. Yeah. Once Upon a Time is in. Yeah. 1917 is in. Yes. After that, what do you got? I'm keeping Jojo Rabbit, and I'm keeping Ford v. Ferrari. Okay, clearly Joker, see you later. Irishman, see you later. Sorry, Little Women, but see you later. Um, I like Little Women, but that's like the fifth time. And I, I feel like at this point, like, what more can you do? Yeah, I, I, I do too. I like Little Women. I think it's, I, th- I thought there was some like really good performances in it. Uh, but I, I'm excited to see what Greta Gerwig does. But I, 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 yeah, I don't think it's top five of the year. No way. Um, Man, I don't know. I got to go to bat for Marriage Story. Um, I figured you would. I figured you would. Again, I haven't seen Jojo Rabbit in a while. But I remember I remember liking it a lot. I remember responding to it really well. But Ford vs. Ferrari is a movie I've seen probably three times since it came out. Just because it's like easier to, to digest. It's just like a fun fucking Hollywood movie. Um, I, guess I'll, I guess I would cut Ford vs. Ferrari. I, would, I don't know kind of a toss-up between those two for that fifth spot for me but it's pretty clear that there's three three movies that belong at the top yeah this was a three-way race and what if you had a vote if you were an academy member what would you have voted for well after i would watch all nine of these movies i would uh (laughs) (laughs) i've you know i Back in the day, I remember really pulling for 1917 because it was something I'd never seen before. But then again, you know, so is Parasite. And I think since then, I've, I've, I've come around on, on Parasite. I'm so glad that movie won. You know, it's the first foreign language film to win Best Picture, and that is so fucking huge. And it is a, it's a deserving film, too. It's an amazing experience, and I'm very glad it won. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's wicked important. It's Oscar history. A great movie. It's not just Oscar history, but it's a great movie, and it deserves every bit of praise it got. But if I had a vote, if I'm being honest with myself, and I had a vote, I would have voted for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, I've I've kind of always said that. Love Parasite. Yeah. 
but I love Once Upon a Time just a little bit more. Um, I love when a year has that. I love when a year has two movies that I, I don't care either one, and they're they're I, I appreciate both of them so much. But you know me, this would look a lot different if it was my you know the Lighthouse in my opinion should have been up for Best Picture. I thought Uncut Gems was amazing from that year. Uh, I think Avengers Endgame should have been Frank- looked at look, looked at more. Frankly, like if we're including, you know, snubs, Adam Sandler should have won this Oscar for Best Actor. <laughs> okay, I like that. I mean, yeah. I didn't really think about that. Him and Leo at the top there. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. He's fucking amazing in that movie. Um, I really, really liked The Farewell. I thought that was an underrated twenty nineteen movie. Uh, yeah, this is this is a, this is a good fucking year, man. Um, the Last Black Man in San Francisco. I've I've always really liked that one. Yes, it's. I I I'll always remember 2019 as like the last year where movies were coming out all the time. There was no, uh, it's coming out a year from now. You know, like oh, like let's hold on. You know, uh, COVID. It just this is the last year of normalcy. Yeah. Jesus. Sad. <laughs> I miss that so much. Me too. But, you know, this is partly why we do this show is to kind of go back and reminisce about certain eras of our, our, our movie watching experiences. So Once Upon a Time clearly brought out a lot in us that we will feel strongly about. So, um, cool. I, I love going through these ceremonies and kind of realizing that sometimes the Oscars ain't so bad. Parasite's a pretty damn good movie. Yeah, and it's fun to have just, you know, a comedy that celebrates the, you know, the end of the golden age of Hollywood. Just, you know, gets completely recognized. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And then we can complain about movies like Joker. They're like, what? Why are you here? You know? Yeah, it's great. Uh, I, I love I loved doing this, man. It's been, it's, it's, it's always fun. And tomorrow, uh, you and I are going to see uh, The Thing at Alamo Draft House, where we both worked. So, uh, I'm super excited to see that. Uh, we're not just you no, know, we're not just Oscar guys. We uh, like to go see so go see good things. And uh, I've never seen the thing on the big screen. I've, in fact, I've never seen any of John Carpenter's work on the big screen. So I'm this is my favorite one. This one in Assault in the Precinct 13. Um, love love this movie. So I'm I can't wait to see it tomorrow and go see that. It's going to be a blast. Yeah, that's going to be really fun. I've um, I have seen the thing on the big screen a long time ago, and it is a exciting experience it's gonna yeah it's not just seeing it on the big screen but seeing it with a crowd of car of diehard carpenter fans it's it's surreal yeah fuck yeah man god i can't wait it's gonna be it's gonna be cool i I like as much as i like seeing things that i haven't seen before like new new movies in the theaters i think i'd always rather see something that i know that i love that i've only seen on at home you know like when we, we, you and I went and saw, we've done a few of these, right? We, we went and saw Jaws together. I'd rather see Jaws in theaters than most of the shit that comes out, <laughs> you know? Because I know I'm going to get greatness and I'm going to be able to see it on, on what it's intended to be seen on. That's, uh, that's a good feeling. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm, I've, got, I've got blockbuster fatigue and I want, it's nice to know you're going to have a good time. Yeah, 100%. Um, we're gonna have a good time this week. We got we got a random ass week on on filmgasm. Uh, Wednesday, episode two hundred and one, Game of Death. That's gonna be fun. That'll be. Is that gonna be you and uh, Caleb? Yes. 
Yes, it is. Yeah. All right. Beautiful. Bruce Lee's final film, kind of. It's it's going to be a. I'm very excited to get into the research of how this Frankenstein monstrosity of a film actually came about. That's great. I'm excited for that. And then you and Caleb again on Friday for Beyond the Bad. All uh, y'all are doing Grizzly. How did that come about? <laughs> I Caleb picks the schedule, and he he likes to you know bounce around decades. And cr- creature features are something he really enjoys. And Grizzly is you know a Jaws knockoff on land that we've always, yeah. Yeah. Kind of, you know, known about. So I'm excited. Uh, and it's, you know, big bear eats people. I mean, I'm sure I doubt there's much substance to that, to this movie. So I think it's going to be fun. Big bear attack. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. And then, uh, next week on this show, next Sunday, um, it's, it's another best picture showdown. You know, it's, it's that time. It's gone by really fast. Uh, super excited because we're going way back. We haven't we haven't gone this far back in a while uh, to to the to the forties, specifically the movies of nineteen forty five. So I'm um, super excited for 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 that because it's kind of for both of us. It's kind of uncharted territory, you know. Uh, the winner from that year is uh, the last weekend. It beat uh, let's see, Mildred Pierce, Spellbound, Anchors Away, and the Bells of St. Mary's. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I actually like that one. I've already seen that one. Uh, Bells of St. Mary's. So, yeah. From what we know, uh, you know, it's a decent group, right? Uh, we both haven't seen all of them, so we're kind of doing our homework leading up to, to next week. And we'll have, a, we'll have a showdown for you guys, and we'll kind of dive into the last weekend, I believe, right now. I know it's on Criterion. It might be on HBO Max as well. So if you want to check that out. Uh, Spellbound is on YouTube. Uh, it's been on YouTube for years. Uh, Anchors Away is on HBO Max. Mildred Pierce, I'm pretty sure you have to rent, right? Yeah. And then um, I'm forgetting the oh, Bells of St. Mary's. That's yeah, that's on something. I was I looking at know. I was looking at him. I was looking at him before we uh, started recording. I, I can't remember if it's on something or not. Might be one of those random ones like Tubi or whatever, you know. Well, when last I looked at these, it was July, so I don't I don't know. It could have completely changed. Yeah, like uh, last weekend was not on anything last month. And then here in August, I know it's on Criterion. And again, maybe HBO Max. So watch some 1945 action. You know, we're, we're going to be diving into that year. We, we did 1986 uh, last time we did a showdown. So, yeah, we're, we're, going, we're going way back. You know, this is prehistoric times for, <laughs> for, for, for the Oscars. So I'm super excited. I love when we get to do this, kind of stretch our legs, try some new stuff. So uh, join us next week. For that best picture showdown, definitely check out Game of Death on Wednesday and Grizzly on Friday. Follow us on Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook at Filmgasm. Check out our website, filmgasm.com, and uh, keep watching movies, guys.